does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. It is a hump day Wednesday in Indianapolis. For that matter, it's a hump day Wednesday everywhere in the world, really. I guess like right now in New Zealand, is it still Wednesday in Australia? Are they ahead of us? believe they're ahead of us. I think so. Okay. Well, we'll just pretend that they're not, and it's hump day Wednesday for everybody. Actually, I can tell you, they're 16 hours ahead of us, so it is actually Thursday morning there. But... Um, good afternoon to you. My name is Jay Quarry. Jimmy Cook here as well. Eddie Garrison is back. We had just sent out an all-point bulletin for him because he's been gone for, what were you gone, Eddie, like a week and a half? Pretty much. That's what it felt like. Where did you go? Anywhere fun? Uh, no. <laughs> he just, it's a staycation, Jake. Got to spend some time with the dogs. That was about it. The dogs? Yeah. Joey and Yogi. I thought you had a cat. We have a cat and two dogs. Did the cat, does the cat get along with the dogs? Uh, yeah, he likes to play with the dogs when he when he's up for it. Are the dogs, what do they think of the cat? Um, Yogi is a corgi, so he's very protective when Joey and the cat uh, start playing. So Yogi goes crazy when the two start playing. It's like almost a sense of jealousy because he's like, hey, this was my friend before he was your friend. Type you know, game. Yogi should meet my cat, right? It would only be fitting. Yeah. If my cat's name was Boo, it would be Yogi and Boo Boo, right? That would uh-huh. work. Perfectly fitting. Uh, Indiana last night, big win in Michigan, and that was one of those games, Jimmy. First, I guess the big question is, did you watch the game? Because this is the first of five for people that are not used to it that is going to be on Peacock. And look, this is – obviously this is the way – and get used to it now. I know that there are people that are like, where is Indiana? I can't watch the game. Uh, This is going to start happening more and more and more, and we can go into a whole different talk show on that. But – because eventually, I think, as teams figure this out, eventually my curiosity, and this is a, a different segue, but how long is it before teams themselves just decide they're going to control all the broadcasts? I guess the TV rights money is such that it would be foolish for them to do that. But if they can eventually figure out how to, to – they, they take in all revenue. So for those that don't know, I, I believe this is correct. Like, for, for example – I won't say any network names, but like if a network goes to a team and pays them in their league a broadcast right, then they take in, the network does all of the revenue from it, right? So what happens when teams eventually say, you know what, the amount of money they're paying us is if we just go ahead and do our own revenue, our own advertising, eventually that is going to exceed the amount of money that a network is paying us. I mean, eventually, I don't think it's going to be for probably 10 years, but eventually it's going there, right? I mean, for some, yes. I don't know the full-scale profitability for like the lower-end teams of the Big Ten, right? Fair. Like it, it becomes... A, or even, I, for that matter, even, you know, the the Sacramento Kings versus the the Lakers, right? Sure. I mean, you know, you have a revenue sharing and that kind of thing. And, and you still have at that juncture, though, even though you have revenue sharing around the league, you're still able to broadcast your own games than your own network and right. hire your own people. The NBA is kind of trying to get a hold on that right now as the MLB of having a more centralized control where you don't have these regional sports networks. And again, this is a 
area that we don't want to go down too much because there's a lot of weeds to get through in that. But in terms of whatever happened collegiately, I mean, Notre Dame does it right now. So, you know, it works for a top brand. The question is, how many schools would it work for? Correct. Well, Indiana's one of those from a basketball standpoint that has some cachet. But last night on Peacock, you said you did watch it, right? I did. Um, I, you could still password share with Peacock. So I happened to to use a... He's a friend's Eddie, Eddie, did, he, did he loan you his password? I did not it's loan not him password. mine, and he did know, not loan know, me did his. Jimmy, did Jimmy loan you his? Did he offer his password? No. Okay. And did you watch the game? I did. Were you stealing somebody else's password? Potentially. Okay. <laughs> so neither one names. of you guys had the courtesy or the generosity within you to offer to me your password. Well, so, but here's why I did, wouldn't have had it. And I didn't know you did not have not asking, knowing that you didn't have it. But two, since it wasn't my original login, because it's not mine, somebody else's, I would I would feel like I would need to then go ask them. Hey, do you care if I pass this along again? So here's the thing. I don't have Peacock open disclaimer. And and I know that people, especially IndyCar people immediately are going to jump on me for that. Maybe rightly so. But keep in mind, I think a lot of people had Peacock unless you're a Notre Dame football locally. right? Right. People around here that would have had Peacock, their introduction to it would have been. To watch races, right? Yeah. To watch IndyCar races. Yep. Well, I, I'm i at those races. So right. like, I'm not home to watch it, right? I'm calling the race, so I'm not watching it. I did have Peacock uh, initially, and I thought, to be honest with you, that I still had it. So I was at Shannon's last night, and I'm like, oh, we got to watch the Indiana game. And you know, then we, we, we pulled it up or whatever, and by then it was in the second half, and I'm like, okay, I'll just, you know, we'll, we'll deal with this later. So I listened to the game, followed it online, um... And Indiana with a nice win. And, and, you know, the two players I think that were really big for – actually three. And Jeff Rabjohn's going to join us at 2 o'clock today to talk about this and more. Um, Khalil Ware is a kind of a unicorn because he is obviously a big player, a tall player that is multi-skilled. And he made a great play you know number one he obviously hit a big basket for them down the stretch Indiana was very balanced every player that played last night scored at least six points I thought CJ Gunn oh yeah had some nice defensive plays um you know they, they've got to do something about being able to finish in transition but CJ Gunn you know we talked to Don Fisher about this earlier in the week the fact that he was thought that CJ Gunn the thought was that he was a shooter and that was the reason he was there and you know, I think he showed a little bit more just in terms of his athleticism last night, which was big. And then Malik Renew, I think, continues to benefit. Malik Renew, I really like because when they had, remember Deron Davis, the kid, out of, and unfortunately he got hurt, kind of derailed his career. But what you really, really benefit from or really want, to be honest with you, is to get a player that looks like he is a, that you anticipate is a one and done guy that turns out to be a really good player, but not necessarily an NBA-ready player, and so therefore you get them for multiple years. And I think Malik Renew is going to be that guy. He has like a Trace Jackson Davis level sustainability within the program about him. But I think he's really – and he's he's a very good player, so I'm not taking this away from him. I'm saying it as a positive towards him. But I think he's benefiting from, for example, Khalil Ware underneath to kind of draw defenses away from him a little bit. Um, and he's played well. But Ware at the end of the game – to me, it was, I guess, ironic. Steve, was Stephen Bardo on the call for that game? Yes. Him and Jack Collinsworth. So, for Stephen Bardo to be on the call for that game made me chuckle. And I'm going to go on the way back here. But in terms of two-point game, 
length of the floor, need to get a shot to win. For Indiana fans at Michigan, first off, I mean, they didn't need a three, they needed a two, but seeing Alford go the length of the floor comes to mind to show that the game's never over. And then, like, last-second shots for Michigan, you know, Henderson's block comes to mind. Um, Loivat, Marcuse missing shots come to mind. That's all on the way back. But the one that I thought of was Stephen Bardo was there for it. When Indiana played Illinois in 89, and I know I'm going back 36 years ago, or 34 years ago, but there's a reason for it. When Nick Anderson hit the shot that buried Indiana, even though Indiana went on to win the Big Ten, and that game, one that I think a lot of Indiana fans that were around for it still recall vividly, for all of Bob Knight's coaching brilliance, the one thing that I think befuddled people then was why they didn't put anybody on the inbound passer. They wanted to double who was going to get the pass as opposed to putting anybody on the passer. Same with the Grant Hill-Christian Leitner play. And last night you saw what happens when you put a big on the inbound passer and Khalil Weir made a huge play. I mean, that was a huge play. Like It was comical. It, it was truly comical. It was Michigan just going for a baseball pass and Weir just standing there initially using his size and wingspan and then just an impressive vertical leap well, that's basically the thing. plucks I mean, the, it out of the air and then catches the it. The athleticism <laughs> to be able to do that is incredible, right? Yeah. But you have to put somebody on the passer in order yeah. to do that. Correct. And I don't know because I you know, I wasn't watching Peacock, obviously, but I don't know if Stephen Bardo even thought or, or even commented on the fact of like, we've seen this movie with Indiana before and they didn't guard the passer and they got burnt by it in one of the more famous moments in Assembly Hall history. So, you know, that it had to have come into his mind. But but at any rate, obviously a great play, a reason why you have a guy like that out there. And Khalil Ware is a player, Jimmy, that when he came from Oregon, what was the knock on him? What was the narrative about Khalil Ware? People said it was an effort thing with him primarily, or he would he would fade and he wasn't always all in. Right. That, was, that was the primary That was Dana Altman's thing about him. And yeah. you're talking about a guy that was a five-star recruit. I mean, this, was a, this is a guy that was the – Literally, a, what, a top 15, top 20 recruit? I mean, one of the biggest recruits in the country goes to Oregon and then his, and I'll use a buzzword here, his lack of motor, his lack of being totally dialed in came into play. And as a result of that, he ends up transferring to Indiana. And now, and now is he a one and done for Indiana? Uh, probably, right? Could be. I mean, it's it's relatively early to have that. Look, I, I never, and I'm not saying you did, Jake, I never really bought into that full narrative because that type of those type of comments happen all the time whenever a player transfers. Like, oh, this is why it really didn't work out here. This is the type of player that he is. Or and that wasn't again always directly from Coach Altman. It was more just the national conversation around him. So you know me, I'm more of a glass half full guy. I want to be able to give him a fair shake here at Indiana, see what he can do. And to this point, passing with flying colors. Great defensively, making big plays offensively when they need it. I want to go back to another point you brought up in terms of players to give a shout out to the joke around one of my group chats is I don't know that I've seen CJ Gunn hit a jump shot at Indiana right he hits two of them well, last did, night I mean he's Don Fisher th- when we had Don Fisher on a Monday he's like yep. look this guy came in as a shooter and quite frankly he's not shooting yep. the ball well and he did that last night and this is a team that from a percentage standpoint they are solid when they're locked in defensively they will dominate you in the paint they are not a team that's necessarily going to 
drown you from beyond the arc, though. And so if you're able to get any timely scoring from downtown, like you did from Gunn, that's a plus. And then the other big thing from last night that won't get talked as much because it's not the sexy thing from IU Michigan, Xavier Johnson still out for the Hoosiers, and so you're going to be relying on a number of different rotation pieces or depth looks for who's going to fill the minutes. Gabe Cups does that last night, draws the defensive assignment for Doug McDaniel, Michigan's leading scorer. He had 13, but he goes 3 of 14 from the field, 0 of 4 from beyond the arc. You need those kind of minutes from somebody with Xavier Johnson out, and last night it was Gabe Cups' moment. So I'm with you. A very complete game. Some critics probably want to discount it with, with all the you know chaos right now within Michigan, but it's a win on the road. It's a win where you didn't necessarily shoot the ball lights out from beyond the arc, but you did enough, and more importantly, you limited Michigan to have a worse shooting night than you did and closed late. How, how do the streaming services not have it figured out to prevent people, and I'm glad they, they, they haven't, sure. but from, from the password-sharing deal? One has tried it, and that's Netflix. And they, I, I, So, for instance, we had a family-shared account. We'd use it with some of my in-laws. How many people were on it? Five. <laughs> this is like when I was in college. But I haven't subscribed to Netflix since, by the way. Like that's that's gone right. now, and I've not. Okay, they did not achieve you know, their win. You know they what lost you, to me. Like, you, I, and I think. Okay, we'll get to that. Sure. When I was in co- this is this is the the 2023 version of the following. Okay, when I was in college, I lived in one of those apartments where you open the the main door, and then there's a little stairwell, and there are four apartments. Bottom left is apartment A. Top left is apartment B. Top right is apartment C. Bottom right is apartment D. What like is that in the cable little, box? The little foyer. Boom. So. I lived in apartment D. Sure. Okay. 309D Marble Lane. Uh, And one person, I think it was in apartment B, was the one that had cable. And then we had a splicer that spliced that bad boy four different directions. So all four apartments had cable. And, you know, like every three months, it was your turn to pay the bill. And you got really excited if everybody decided to watch HBO at one time because then it would actually come in because we, you know, whatever. But this is the the same version of that in 2023. Whether it be Netflix, Peacock, any of these streaming services, HBO Max. I mean, you you almost wonder like who's the one that's that's subscribing to it. I'm not I'm not promoting this or but but it, I mean it's rampant, right? right? And Netflix. I think what happened to Netflix, Jimmy, and you tell me if I'm wrong. But I think for a lot of people, you know, Netflix was a huge, I mean, no business out there probably benefited more during COVID than Netflix. But at the same time, that was probably the time when the password sharing went rampant, right? Because people are like, are you, now here's a good trivia question for you. What was the, I may be wrong in this, but my recollection, what was the show during COVID? Tiger King. Bingo. Yeah. I mean, everyone watched that right at the beginning of COVID. Yep. So that probably was, you know, 20 years from now when they do a 30 for 30 type thing about it, about Netflix, you know, whatever, or they do, wait for it, a Netflix documentary. That's what one of the things it's going to, it's going to talk about how that spread it like wildfire. But then once they got to the point where they're like, okay, well, you've been, you've been milking it for free off your uncle. Now we're going to make you pay for it. I think there are a lot of people 
that after they're like, oh, you know what? I got to do that in like a couple of weeks here. And then after a couple of weeks, they're like, you know, I just, I don't, I don't think I miss it as much as I thought I would. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what happened for me. And also I'm more in the realm of if there's like a really cool exclusive that I just absolutely have to see, I'll sign up for a month and then cancel it. Well, and then that, they're not. I think that happens a lot, yeah, right? That happens for everybody. Uh, what we would do is let's say I have Max and my brother-in-law has Netflix. Well, he can use the Max login. I can use Netflix login. It all kind of evens out because the right. pricing platforms yeah. are about Fair the enough. same. I, if you were to do like the final four of the streaming services, like what are the big four? Netflix, Disney Plus, HBO Max, and then Paramount? You, can, you can have an argument for either Paramount Plus or Peacock or I guess Hulu if you wanted, but that, that gets closer to the TV area. But I think okay. one of those four. So does Paramount so you can't get Peacock programming on Paramount, right? Correct. Because there was one, the other day I was looking and there was something that was on Paramount that surprised me because I'm like, well, it's not an NBC. Oh, Amazing Race is available on Paramount. Because but I thought, it's under the CBS umbrella. I thought Paramount was NBC, though. Mm-mm. No. Uh, Peacock, obviously, as you know, uh, but the listeners NBC, might not know, right, right. is tied to the NBC logo because that's what of, it of is, course, Peacock. Yeah. But, I, but I thought Peacock was just the sports division. Mm-mm. So you can get uh, movies that, because I think NBC Universal... Like okay. any Universal movies you can get on Peacock gotcha. okay. and then any Paramount Picture movies plus CBS programming like the NFL, like uh, UEFA Champions League, you can get on Paramount+. Plus. By the way, um, Eddie, we have a new configuration here and mm-hmm. because of the way it's set up, I can't see you. I can only see when you're moving your microphone. Okay. So I don't know if that means you're wanting to say something or what because I can't see you. All I can see is the screen. No, you- I'm just trying to figure out, you know, the right mic situation where I feel most comfortable. Do your studio, new... <laughs> Got to get comfortable. Do you want to raise the seat a little bit? No. Let me see if I can lower the screen here. Don't break it. I, I know. I don't want to break anything. Um, so Indiana last night with the win. Next up is going to be Auburn. Again, Jeff Rabjohn's going to join us later. We now know the Pacers, Jimmy, going to play the Milwaukee Bucks in Vegas, right? Yeah, it's basically a, well, I guess not full-scale revenge tour since the Pacers were able to beat the Bucks in that classic thriller last month. But when you look at what the Pacers' road is, to get to a NBA Cup final in the inaugural NBA Cup. Is that what it's called, the NBA Cup? I like, thought it was just called the... the well, it's in-season tournament, but the NBA Cup's what's on the line, and I think that that's, should be more that's embraced. That's the thing that's in the middle of the floor, right? Correct. Okay. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, the NBA Cup up for grabs, and you look at what the Pacers have to go through, it's the top two teams in the Eastern Conference. They've already knocked out one. So you got to go to a neutral site now, take on Milwaukee, and then if you take care of business there tomorrow at 5 o'clock, and you can hear that right here on the Pacers radio network here on The Fan. Any coverage starts at 4.30. See, uh, 4.30 Eastern Standard Time. If you're able to get a win there, then all of a sudden you're into Saturday's final where you'd be looking at one of... I don't have the bracket in front of me. Eddie, do you happen to know who's left on the western side? I think. It is the Lakers and the Pelicans. So there you go. Okay. New Orleans a and Very LA. controversial ending to the Phoenix-LA game last night. Don't know if you saw that or not. I will be honest, I went to bed. Uh, one possession game, loose ball, nobody has possession. Officials grant the Lakers a timeout um, when there was clearly no possession of the basketball. Mm. Lakers retained possession, uh, and they were able to close out and win the game. All right, then. Uh, LeBron had what last night? He had a big uh, game, right? He had like 31, yeah. I want to say. I mean, for 38 years old, he's averaging 24.4 a game. Oh, it's nuts. But it's nuts. For 38 years old, it's like, you know, people, people keep waiting for him to fall off a cliff. And yeah, sure, he may not be like the dominant go-to score every possession guy, but it's still pretty darn impressive, is it not? 
yeah, even if he is, and you can have that debate, I would still say in most crunch time late game situations, he is your number one that's either going to facilitate or take that shot. But whether you want to say, oh, it's Anthony Davis or whoever, the fact that he is still at worst the number two scoring option on a team that views itself in the championship conversation is mind-boggling at his age. The the thing that's funny about the final four of the NBA in-season tournament, what are the smallest markets in the NBA? Smallest markets? I always get confused on this conversation uh, because I had thought for a long time that like by definition of the way the league works, like a couple years ago before LeBron and Bosh and Wade, I thought Miami was considered in that conversation, but then I was told, well, well not really, because this is I would what, say San Antonio, right? They're what has always amused me because people call them a small market team. What's right? always amused me is like in football. Sure. When people are like, you know, Miami's a small market team. I'm like, small, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, is anything, do, do people consider anything other than New York and Los Angeles to be small market? I feel like, yeah, if you're not those two, it's over. I mean, da- people don't realize Houston's a good one, okay? Houston is literally like the the fourth largest metropolitan area in the United States. It's the seventh largest television market, okay? The biggest TV market is New York, second is Los Angeles. But in terms of the NBA, Obviously, any league, you want bigger markets because it means more television eyeballs just because you get that hometown grouping, right? Oklahoma City. Utah. Okay, Oklahoma, you're missing a big one. I mean, or in this case, a small one, right? Uh, Looking at the television markets in the United States of America, you had mentioned Oklahoma City. That is 46th. Oklahoma City is 46th. Believe it or not, Memphis... 52. Mm. New Orleans. I, I said the Pelicans, didn't I? Didn't New I Orleans is 50. You said San Antonio, right? Uh, Salt Lake City, by the way, 29. Where's Charlotte on that list? Uh, Charlotte is Indianapolis, by the way, in television market. Now, this is not metropolitan area ranking. That's different. Correct. Charlotte's 20, market 21. Indianapolis is market 25. Salt Lake is market 29. And Milwaukee is market 38. Mm. So you've got market 38, market 50, market 25, and then market number one. But I saw a tweet last night from a national writer that said, look, people need to wake up. Just because teams are smaller market doesn't mean that they aren't as exciting. And they said, like, and I can't remember what writer it was, I apologize, but it was a national NBA writer. Like, look, there are a few teams in the league right now more exciting than the Indiana Pacers. And that's true because what do people like? If you're a fan of the Pacers, their lack of defense drives you crazy. If you're just a fan of the NBA and you're flipping channels, hell, let's go. They're must-watch every night. Right. I, you're I not going to find a better ticket in terms of offensive display. What's the over-under going to be for the Indianapolis, the, or excuse me, the Indiana-Milwaukee game? I mean, what's the over-under set at right now? It's got to be... I'm going to put the over-under in that game at 231. Oh, man. And that's low, right? I'd be rich. Okay, so... (laughs) I would be rich. Okay, so, well, I'm going a little concerned. I'll say 245. How's that? You're still not even close. 250. Getting warmer. 260. Too high. 251, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 254 and a half. Thank you, Bob. You're welcome. 254 and a half for... I mean, why would you not want... Like, again, painstaking... For basketball traditionalists in Indiana, well, I only watch college because they run nothing but the four, you know, man to man, and you know, I mean, that's 
they're basketball traditionalists. I get it. I, I get it. Here's my one, like, I try to preach this to people all the time. I know there's more traditionalism in college basketball, but if you like, which I feel like a lot of Indiana people do, growing up with a basketball court in your driveway or basketball hoop in your driveway and layups and shooting threes, when you see threes taken in college, I don't care if it's the NCAA tournament. I don't care if it's a Thursday night in the MAC. You never know if that shot's going in. Doesn't matter if the guy's wide open. Right. If you see an NBA player, almost any NBA no player, question. get a wide open look from three, it's in. You are dead on. It is amazing how I watched Obi Toppin. I mean, I think we know that Obi Toppin's a good shooter, right? Sure. But Obi Toppin's a six ten guy that played the. Va- I mean, Jimmy, I'm six foot four. Okay. From the time that I was playing basketball, I pl- I was the tallest kid on my team every time and I played center until I got to like high school. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, you're now the sixth tallest and I've got to learn to play like, uh, you know, outside, whatever. A guy like Obi Toppin has probably played like every coach he's had growing up, probably had him down low. And I watched him shooting three pointers during halftime, you know, coming out of the halftime on Monday night. And he hit like 11 in a row, just like shooting, right? NBA three pointers. (laughs) And I know that he shoots them in the course of the game, but that's like your seventh three-point option on the Pacers roster. To your point, everybody can hit. And as I've said before, you go to any NBA game, every player on the floor, as you're watching that game and you're seeing some guy with the basketball in his hand that averages eight and a half points a game for the New Orleans Pelicans and 18 minutes a game. As he's dribbling, there are two guys in a bar in Baton Rouge talking about how it's the greatest high school player they've ever seen. Yeah. Romeo Langford is a legend here that had fat guys in sweatpants wrapped around high school gyms in 12-degree weather waiting for his autograph when he was 17, and that guy now is lobbing up passes for, like, the Provost Stars in the G League, right? Yep. And he's one of the greatest high school players in Indiana history. No question about it. A little Colts action to talk about as well as they get set for the Cincinnati Bengals. We'll get into that. And then coming up on the program, we're going to talk Luke Easterling, little NFL chat coming up at 1 o'clock. Jeff Rabjohn's 2 o'clock, loaded on a Wednesday here. Aquarian Company, 93.5-1075, the fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Here it is right here, folks. Your award for most cringeworthy, embarrassing stare-at-the-floor Gosh, I can't believe at one time it looked cool videos of all time. Separate ways by Journey. Not mm. n- It's not in the Billy Squire Rock Me Tonight category, but it's way up there. In terms of bands, it may be number one. Hey, let's just get a bunch of guys in front of a green screen and have them act like they're playing instruments, and then suddenly the instruments appear. That'll be awesome and cool. And for like two weeks it was in 1983 or four or whatever. Then you look at it now and you're like, yeah, no bueno. Big no bueno. 
Uh, we are. We have a new name for Wednesdays when it comes to the Colts, right, Jimmy? We do indeed. And that would be? I think it's Walkthrough Wednesday. That is correct. Walkthrough Wednesday because um, that's what they're doing now towards the end of the season. It's kind of walkthroughs. So not necessarily any hard-hitting activity at West 56, at least not anticipated. But I guess the question becomes, Jimmy, or the statement, it doesn't seem like they really came, you know, you Jacksonville, we haven't even talked about this. Good news, bad news for the Jacksonville Jaguars, which means good news, bad news, I guess, for the rest of the NFL and specifically the AFC South. The good news for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I'm not going to and I'm not going to say bad news for the rest of the league cuz you never want you're not hoping for a player to be hurt, don't get me wrong. But good news for the Jaguars as we talked about yesterday, Trevor Lawrence it does appear that that is just an ankle sprain, which is incredible because it looked horrific when it happened. Bad news for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Christian Kirk, who is their leading receiver to this point. Calvin Ridley, I think, has more catches, but in yardage, Christian Kirk is the leading receiver and is a guy that, through Trevor Lawrence's kind of acclimation into the NFL, has been a safety net kind of guy for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, out for the year. And that's a significant blow for them because, especially if Lawrence is not able to go for a couple of weeks, you you definitely need kind of a safety net type receiver. I say out for the year. If they were to make the Super Bowl and maybe the AFC title, he could return. But he has a groin injury that is going to require surgery. I don't know about you guys, but it, what would be the worst? What would be the worst injury to have? Like the one that just when you hear it, you're like, eesh. I mean, there was a guy a couple of years ago in soccer that had um, a ruptured testicle. Yeah, I feel like anything below the belt or above the knees, Jake, is probably going to get into <laughs> that, it. Uh, that happened in baseball. Was it um, baseball? Is that where it was? Mm-hmm, Mitch yeah. Hanniger, I believe. It was a Seattle uh, Mariner. Yeah, I, 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 here's the thing. If that was the injury that I had, I would ask for two things. Uh, one would be like a six-week sedative, and then the other would be to make up some sort of a knee injury that I suffered, right? Yes. <laughs> you know what it's, I mean? It's the long-term grabbing your knee when you fall to the ground, even though you didn't hurt your knee. Yes, correct. Yes, sure. That's yeah. correct. Followed by the weird stomach ache and then the <laughs> the, the feeling that you're going to have to sneeze. Yep. Except for that for that poor fella, it went on for like three days. Like, good night. No thank you, right? Yes. <laughs> but a groin injury feels like like that would also just be I don't know man like the first step in the morning you know I mean how, like that would be a tough one to just have to sit and recover from because I'm assuming there can't be a lot of movement there but Christian Kirk being out is big but Jimmy on the Colts side of things you know the one guy I think that obviously you know you get Grover Stewart back which is going to be big for them uh, particularly against the run and when you're going. Having Stewart back, the magnitude of that is probably accentuated by the fact that you are getting ready to see down the home stretch for the Colts. How many how many week one starters are they going to face at quarterback? Did Ritter start, Eddie? He did. He did. So one, a uh, two, because Stroud started as well. So two, two of the f- two other five games, two will have week one starters and. Now, Stroud, not the case. Desmond Ritter, though, still a guy that's kind of learning how to be a starter, right? Correct. You know what I mean? And and when you have a young or inexperienced, either one, quarterback, what are you incredibly reliant upon? The running game. 
which is big to have Grover Stewart back because that's the, you know he he that's the one thing that we saw during his absence. There obviously was you saw how valuable he is in stopping the run. Juju Brents is the other guy that did you ever think at the beginning of the year, in particular when he was missing time in camp, that we would be sitting here by the time that now I would say that conversation changes once you get to like week three. Right. If you fast forward to about week three or week whenever he before he got hurt, it's like, wow, this this rookie can really play. For sure. Maybe and I would have bought in. He's a big guy. You know what I mean? Like he's Correct. But you're right about uh training camp. No, I would have been like, that really? Right. I mean, he missed camp time, and you're like, eh, come on. I mean, this guy's probably never going to play this year. And then he played, and not only is he – he plays bigger than he is. Yeah, He plays wider than he is, if that makes sense, Juju Brents. And I would have said in camp, Jimmy, when we were talking about the impact of Juju Brents, to use a barometer of the calendar, I could have said, like, hey – do you think Juju Brents will still be an integral part of the Colts conversation by the time that like the monument circle, the Christmas is the Christmas tree lights are up? But I more likely would have said, which happens first, the monument uh construction and repair and, and renovation is done or Juju Brents is like an integral part. Well, that that hasn't changed at all. No. The the monument thing the monument, in terms of the renovation, it's Bob Sanders, right? Like the, the the timeline keeps getting changed, and then after a while, you just you even forget about it. Yeah, it's like out of sight, out of mind. There's still like nine guys sitting around. If you haven't been downtown, folks, the north side of the Monument Circle looks the same. Actually, it looks the and it's kind of a, a neat thing they're doing. They've turned the clock back. It looks just like Christmas 1902, right? When they were building the monument, That's which is what fun. they were going for, believe yeah. it or not. It's a retro look, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, go back to Grover Stewart for just a second because Juju Brents, his return, whenever that happens, is going to be big for this defense because you look at. Some of the names they're going to be going against over the next couple of weeks, George Pickens, Drake London, Devontae Adams, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins. But specifically looking at running backs for just a second over these next couple of weeks and why having Grover Stewart back and shoring up this Colts run defense, Joe Mixon, Jalen Warren, Travis Etienne, Josh Jacobs, Devin Singletary, Damian Pierce, these are all backs that you're going to face down the stretch. And that's not to say that just a running back can be John Robinson. That's not to say that just a running back can totally dictate a game and, and it's a guaranteed loss because his backs are out there because those backs are on some pretty bad teams. But the ability to potentially take away or at least make it more difficult on a piece of each one of these teams that have been very effective in their last couple of weeks and throughout their totality of those players' careers is magnified by the fact that backup quarterbacks is the name of the game right now, the Colts' rest of the schedule. And you've seen these teams really shift and lean on at times, star running backs in this league. So, yeah, anytime you're able to add back a piece that can help defensively in the running game as well as Grover Stewart does, you're going to take that because I don't want to be too cliche, Jake, but it is every game the rest of the way, and we've been saying this for the last two weeks, is a playoff game for the Colts for two reasons. One, because, duh, you need to win to be able to get in. And two, you're going up against teams, for the most part, except for one, that are also still vying or think they're vying for a playoff spot. 
So any edge you can get back, whether it's Juju Brents in the passing game with some incredible weapons, even with backup quarterbacks playing, whether it's Grover Stewart with some talented running backs, even with a backup quarterback under center, that's a plus and an advantage for the Colts, kind of like if you're getting a player back from injury, even though you may be required at a trade deadline, right? They use that all the time in baseball. Well, we didn't make a move at the deadline, but we got so-and-so back, and that kind of feels like we made a move at the deadline, right? Like That's basically where the Colts are from a mentality standpoint in terms of getting weapons back. They're going to help you in this stretch run. I just, Jimmy, I mean this to take nothing away from the Colts because they've won the games they need to win, right? And... You know, the Tennessee win was an impressive win because you kind of had to dig down deep to get it. And even though Will Levis is a rookie, like I thought he looked pretty competent. I mean, it wasn't like you were out there against a guy that, you know, you felt if you were a Tennessee fan going into the overtime, it wasn't like you thought to yourself, how are we even going to possibly move the ball? You know, I mean, he's competent, right? Yeah. But, you know, let's face it, at least two of those four teams that they beat in that in, in this four-game stretch are not necessarily world beaters, but you have to win the, you, you have to win the games that you're supposed to win, and they've done that, right? That but conversation it, is going to be very big this offseason when looking at what this team did. Correct. Because right now, I'm willing to turn a blind eye to it, but I feel the same way you do. Look at who they played. You can't rely on that to think that you don't need to have areas of improvement. Yes. Right? Yes. You can't get too comfortable by it. Um, but you build off of it. It's great for this team that they are playing meaningful games in December because what did we talk? We talked to Alec Pierce yesterday, right? And Alec Pierce, when we when he talked about the end of the year last year, what did he say? He said, "Look, it was tough because we're playing for nothing." And he's like, "I mean, don't get me wrong, we wanted to win, but like we're just playing out the schedule." And he's like, "And it was really hard." Well, for young guys now, for Juju Brents, for for young player Anthony Richardson, now as rookies, they are getting immediate taste of of the NFL when you got to play and when the games matter, and so that in that area, it is it's a huge strong suit, and they may well, I mean, I think they're going to the playoffs. They may win the division. They may win a playoff game. Who knows? Pierce gave me a perspective I've never thought of before, because I've never been in that headspace as an athlete, and for me. The way I view it as for a rookie, well, like I almost look at it at times like robotics, which is unfair because they're human beings. But the way I look at it is, well, your season's done in terms of going to the playoffs, but this is a great opportunity for you to grow still as a player. And not to say that he didn't do that, but even when I try to be conscious of the mental aspect of the game, for him to be feeling that of like, hey, I've been a winner my whole life. And yes, I'm still working out there and giving 100%, but it's taken a toll somewhat when you're not playing for something. That's a hard aspect initially for me to have my eyes open to because you think, oh, well, it's their job. Like Naturally, they're going to want to get better, which he did, but the thought that that aspect of not playing for anything can impact young players is something that I'm sure I've thought of in passing but never really thought of like that. So to get that genuine perspective from him... And knowing that he still did focus on getting better, but that was a hurdle that guys have to overcome. is It's just a very unique perspective that often gets overlooked because you think of it in terms of like the robots, like, okay, that objective's done. Go work on this objective. Well, it's harder than that when you've been used to all this team success and always being in games 
and always playing football in meaningful situations. And oh, by the way, six extra games on your schedule, like he pointed out, versus being done on January 1st. But it does feel, when you look at it, like one of those years where everything's kind of fallen into place for them. Yeah. Right? And you got to take advantage of that. You got to take advantage of it and you got to count the blessings of it, right? Um, and and say, look, and I, Shane Steichen, so far, I think for the most part, Jimmy has pushed every right button. And one of those buttons that he's pushing is deciding towards the end of the year here that on Wednesdays, for example, you kind of ease into the week as opposed to, you know, what did Alec Pierce say um, about last year? He's like, look, you know, we were running these practices like as if we were going to the Super Bowl. And I get it. Jeff Saturday was probably trying to send a message. I'm sure he was probably following an order from Jim Ursay of like, come in here and be kind of a drill sergeant type. I don't know that. Um, but, you know, Saturday played in an era where if you won on Sunday, you got Monday, Tuesday off. So, I mean, he knows that side of it. But I could see how Saturday probably thought, look, my job is to come in here and immediately, like, put a footprint on it. And so I'm going to come in and and let these guys know this is a it's a different NFL than what they think it is. And you can get away with that probably when your team is 10-2. and two. It's a little more challenging when you're two and ten. Yeah, and that was one of the things. But Shane Steichen this year so far has pushed uh, literally every button, every button. Uh, talk more NFL with Luke from the Athlon or from Athlon Sports, I should say, coming up here in just about ten minutes. And um, I've got a favor to ask of everybody. You ready to do a favor, Jimmy? Always, Eddie. You ready to help me out with a favor? Indeed. Neither one of you guys are obligated, but I do have a favor for Indianapolis. I'll mention it next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Back here on a Wednesday, Jake Quarry along with Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison. It is Quarry and Company here at 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Uh, I had mentioned, and I am very appreciative, not only of the fact that people have lended their ear or ears in this regard, but also for your guys' understanding on allowing me to occasionally mention this because it is really important to me. Um, but it's important to a lot of people in Indianapolis I had mentioned before that Firefly, most people would know of Firefly as the Children's Bureau. It's on the west side of Indianapolis. It's right off of Dr. Martin Luther King Drive. But what Firefly does is a number of different programs, not only for young parents who are struggling and need counseling, whether it be just for familial situations, addiction, all kinds of different things. All of it with the best intent, with everything in mind towards the family structure for children. And one of the things that Firefly does that is probably its most critical element is provides short-term and then at times even long-term housing for children who are immediately removed in an emergency situation from a dangerous situation. Uh, the example I always use is, you know, middle of the night, domestic situation, police are called, they show up, mom and dad are arguing, or someone in the family is fighting, it gets violent, 
and the police remove the children for their own safety. And then in the interim, while DCS is figuring out and navigating through that, the Firefly residential facility is where they go, right? And they can, they live, they're able to still go to school, but they get the the necessary support during that time. And in that capacity, Firefly every year creates a Christmas wish list for children and you can adopt a child, sponsor a child. Uh, I'm just going to give a small example here, Jimmy, uh, because it does become kind of heartbreaking. Here, here's I'm reading one child's wish list, okay? And there's a reason I'm mentioning all this. Here's the wish list of this child who was asked, you know, what do you want for Christmas? Well, I'm the oldest of three. I would like calming strips, clothes, socks, sensory items for the shower, but more importantly, anything from my younger brother and sister, including personal hygiene items for Christmas. So, you know, you can do like a lot of people. So far, they started out with about 1,500 children um, and families that were in need of Christmas support. Probably around $150 is what you're looking at if you want to be able to get all the items that a child wants. I, I go a little you know, buy a couple of extra items, a Nerf football, that kind of thing. Uh, but there are 280 children still that are in, that are waiting for a sponsor. 280 children that are hoping to get just a simple few items under the Christmas tree to let them know that, in fact, the spirit and the miracle of Christmas does exist. You can go to my Twitter account, at Jake Query on social media, J-A-K-E-Q-U-E-R-Y, at Jake Query. Uh, my pinned tweet, as it's called, right at the top. I have the link right there, or as always, you can text me at 523-9288. That's 523-9288. I will send you the link. You can click on it. It is extremely easy to navigate, and in most cases, right there, you can click on the wish list in the Amazon wish right there and purchase right there. You don't even have to leave the house. Very easy to do. I know it's a bit of a commitment, but we appreciate. We're trying to get every child sponsored. Um, so I'll mention that a couple of times between now and Christmas, but thanks for allowing me to do that. Um, Jimmy, last night, as we talked about big win for Indiana over Michigan, Colts getting set to take on the Cincinnati Bengals. We just got into that, but there's a lot going on in the NFL. It's the best time of year, right? Because not only are games ramping up a little bit, but also we're getting into that part of the year where it's like basically seven days a week of football talk, right? Including Saturday and Sunday and I mean, I could see you're a Chiefs guy. You're you're over there salivating yeah, it, at it, it, right? It's the perfect mesh of near 24-7, what the NFL loves to have all year, but just condensed in rapid-fire success, succession, seven days a week, add in bowl season to that, and it's it's perfect. If you're a football fan, it is absolutely perfect. Plus, if you're like me and you enjoy using the playoff simulator, or the playoff machine to figure out scenarios for teams, you're no longer totally insane when you've been doing it since week 10, and now everybody else is finally on board right. starting to play out those scenarios over the final five weeks of the season. One of the great holiday traditions, and I know that very few people anymore, like I just mentioned, you can shop like right there at Amazon, right? But you know, I used to always love like going through like at Christmas time, a week before Christmas, and you're going through the mall, and it's packed, and it's chaos, and you pass by... Again, these are kind of yesteryear memories, but you pass by the electronics store and they have the TVs that are for sale and it's literally like 50 people sitting around watching because that's actually where I saw the the Music City Miracle when the Tennessee Titans knocked out the Buffalo Bills on, you, you know, the famous 
Dyson play on right. the kick return. I watched that standing with like 50 other people, I think like in front of like an H.H. <laughs> H. Greg at the mall, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, what did I just witness? What did I just witness? R.I.P. H.H. H. Greg. Uh, that's right. Luke, uh, Luke Easterling, by the way, Athlon Sports next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Welcome back to Queer and Company in the home stretch of the playoff push for both the Colts and a lot of teams around the AFC. We'll cover a lot of different ground in terms of that playoff race and Look at top teams around the whole conference as well as the whole league with our next guest, Luke Easterling. Does a great job covering the NFL at Athlon Sports. You've heard him on these very airways before. Luke, how are you on a Wednesday? Doing great, guys. It's uh, it's a nice like sixty one degrees down here in Tampa, so uh, not not bad for December. Come on, man. <laughs> hey, on. I gotta ha- I gotta use what I got, man. See me in August when we can't go outside because it's too hot. <laughs> well, Luke, thanks for joining us. We uh, hope you have a good hot. No, I'm just kidding. No, you're right. You know, I, so where, let me ask you this, Luke. Did you grow up in like Florida? Like, where did you grow up? Yeah, born and raised here. Born and raised here. Outside of a, a few months, I lived in uh, Georgia. A few months, I lived up in northern Kentucky. I played some college ball up there. Um, but most, most, most of it all has been down here in the, in the greater Tampa area. Cause I, I mean, look, my, I've got family in St. Pete, like most people in Indiana have family in Florida somewhere. Right. right. So it's a, obviously a great area, but I am curious of this before we get talking football, since you brought it up, because all of us could use that sunshine for like a weekend just to get like that little dose of energy in the wintertime. So advantage Tampa for sure. But I am curious of this and I guess you wouldn't know any different, but is it weird to have for like a 36 hour window is it weird to have christmas like in shorts and a t-shirt i mean i'm not gonna lie i hate it i hate it like i i i understand that i speak out of ignorance having only experienced winter like i said i lived in like northeast kentucky and so it it snowed a few times that winter and and got into the teens and 20s and and had a snowball fight here and there but I, i don't know what it's like to like live through like a real winter uh, every year and, and have to deal with that. Um, but it, I, I mean, I've been here for so long that I really do get tired of the, uh, the 87 degree Christmas mornings. It's just, it doesn't, it kills some of the vibe, man. I'd, I'd love to have a, a white Christmas. I'd yeah. love to have uh you know, it's just, I don't know. I, I hate it. I, I hate that. It's always hot on Christmas. And I respect you saying that because I, I do think that when you live, like I've lived in a cold weather climate my entire life, predominantly in Indianapolis, but I do think that, and I hate winter, Luke. I hate it, not because of the cold, but the lack of sunshine itself. But I think everybody that hates winter still, at least at Christmas time, appreciates the fact that it's truly Christmas. You know what I mean? So I was always curious. I, yeah, about I agree. That. I think they should advantage you guys. Um, hey, let's get to this in the NFL. I, I wanted to ask you, kind of generically speaking, to begin when the NFL season is very cyclical, and and you have at times. You know, like in October, the team that people are like, "Holy cow!" Print, you know, print the trophy now. You know, engrave it now. Right. It, 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 and obviously, there are waves due to injuries and and just conf, you know all kinds of things. Who has been the? Give me the maybe the two, the two teams that have been the most consistently 
top teams so far this season? Is it the obvious, or is there somebody that's like, look, you don't talk about them, but they have been playing at the same level from basically week one, so advantage them? I mean, honestly, the the team that comes to mind that might not be obvious to, you know, because there's such a logjam there at the top of the AFC, but I, I feel like that team is Baltimore. Uh, I feel like if I was going to go with consistency with the way they've performed against some of the better teams they play, go look at what Lamar Jackson did to that that fully healthy Cleveland defense earlier in the season. Go look at what they did to Detroit. Uh, I think the week after Detroit uh, put it on somebody else, you know, I think, you know, to watch a team like Detroit do what they did start the season against Kansas city and play really well. And then Baltimore to just roll in there and just smack them around, Um, you know, and, and, and obviously being healthy helps with some of that, Uh, but they've had a a few injuries as well. Uh, the, The fact that that offense has continued to grow, it's continuing to put up points, despite the fact that Ronnie Stanley, their top tackle has been out for a bit. Uh, obviously they don't have Mark Andrews right now. I mean, that's the team that I think, and again, the way they can win games that the passing game has finally been opened up a little bit under Todd Munkin, the new OC, and they still have the ground game to get it done. Gus Edwards and now Keaton Mitchell, the, the rookie undrafted free agent. They've got kind of a thunder and lightning backfield now to go along with, with Lamar Jackson. I feel like the, the fact that they can beat anybody any way they want to beat them, and, and especially because they can run the ball so well, this is the time of year you've got to be able to win on the ground and win with defense. They're the team that I think I would have the most confidence in being able to go through a, a playoff gauntlet and, and consistently win in any type of way. Luke Easterling of Athlon Sports is our guest. Luke, when you look at the bottom half of the playoff teams or hopeful playoff teams in the AFC, it's a it's a quarterback slaughterhouse, effectively, with backup QBs yeah. just across the board trying to lead their teams and, in some cases, right the ship for a time or two until healthier options come back. When you look at this setup, and we'll take Jacksonville out of the equation because it looks like if they stay afloat, they'll get Trevor Lawrence back at some point this year. So let's right. assume that's the diagnosis. When you look at the rest of the AFC with all these backup quarterbacks in Pittsburgh, here in Indy, in Cleveland, Cincinnati, who has the best chance to make it out alive over these final five weeks? You know, I mean, it's tough. The AFC North is weird. Um, you know, they've got some stars on, on either side of the ball in certain places, but nobody has, I feel like, the, the complete package. And I mean, I feel like if you look at Indy on the surface, you're like, they should probably, they might have the, mo- the, the least amount of talent on paper compared to some of these teams, especially with the other injuries they're dealing with, with Jonathan Taylor um, and some others. But I don't know. I feel like there's, I feel like there's something to the the fact that that Indy has has already had Gardner Minshew in the building and has been doing this for for longer than I think some of these teams that are kind of having to deal in, with these quarterback injuries and, and roll with them later in the season. I feel like there's a comfort level with Indy, particularly on offense, that they know that that Gardner can get them there, that he's their guy, that he's been the guy for the rest of the season for a while now, ever since they knew Anthony Richardson was going to miss the rest of the year. And I don't know, man, they just, when a team finds a way to win games over and over and over again in ways that they probably shouldn't, um, that's a team that starts to, to, to pique my interest. And I think that, that applies to Indy. And again, speaking this as a Bucks guy down here in Tampa and watching how they won that game, watching how they won this past week, um, you know, that's a team that is galvanized. That's a team that kind of knows who they are and has an identity. And that's kind of rare under a first year head coach, right? It usually takes a lot of time to establish that. Heck, the Bucks still don't have one, I don't think, uh, outside of throw Mike Evans the ball. Uh, and, and Todd Bowles has been here for quite a while. So 
I don't know, man. I, you know, I'm not just trying to blow smoke uh, for for Colts fans on the airwaves here in, in Indy, but man, I, I just I look at a team that that knows who they are, that knows how to to play for and around the quarterback they do have. Uh, and and everybody feels like they're they're pulling their weight there, and I think that's a, a dangerous thing to be going in to this stretch when you look at some of those other teams and the fact that they're still trying to figure those things out. Luke, we could use smoke. It's thirty five degrees, man. I mean, come on, right? Fair enough. We'll, Fair take, enough. we'll take all you can get. Hey, I like to ask national guys this, which you obviously are, uh, Luke Easterling from Athlon Sports. In terms of perceptions, in terms of like thought word association when you think about the indianapolis colts in 2023 right now give me the the two franchises that in terms of their competitiveness in terms of their competency in terms of their trajectory give me the two teams in the nfl that you think of on the same bar on the same plane as indianapolis I mean, I think aspirationally when they're – are you talking like in general if, if Anthony Richardson is included? No, if, like right now where they are. For another – like right, so so this right season this you'd say, hey, San Fran is on par with like, you know, San Fran, Philly, and Dallas are like in a grouping together. Right, Just right, in terms right. of like how – like in other words, the outside perception of the Colts is that they are mirrored by or they are contemporaries of these franchises right now. I mean, I think you look at those other teams that they're fighting with in the playoffs, right? You You've got – Pittsburgh and Cleveland in particular, and then Cincinnati to a lesser degree, you got teams that are trying to ride with backup quarterbacks, and they're doing it what? They're doing it with, with timely playmaking on third down. They're doing it with, with you know, creating big plays on defense and playing stingy enough, and they're doing it with, they're with, doing it with great coaching. And I, I think Pittsburgh has struggled in that situation, obviously, on offense in particular, but they've got stability overall in a big-picture way from Mike Tomlin being there as long as he has, never having had a losing season. Um, and you look at Cincinnati, they've obviously been to the playoffs. Everybody's dealing with things in a different way. Um, but I feel like they're in that group, right, where where they they have a chance to do something special, even though everybody would have written them off as soon as, you know, Richardson got hurt and all will just, you know, wait for next season and punt and, you know, develop some other guys. Um, but, but that's kind of where I would put them in, in that in that group of teams that has has some pieces in in place to be competitive, but I think have have overachieved compared to that perception, especially earlier in the year, that this was just going to be a punt year and move on. They're clearly one of multiple teams in that range that that is not taking that lightly, and they're they're fighting for a playoff spot. Are Pittsburgh and Cincinnati like I feel like Houston? has upward trajectory and that's why they are where they are and indianapolis has upward trajectory and that's why they are where they are whereas like cincinnati for example is with indianapolis but it kind of feels like they're backpedaling a little bit maybe i'm selling them short on their their weapons outside the quarterback um pittsburgh also feels like they're on that ice that like you can hear it going and you you feel like it's about to crack underneath them um are, are those teams solidly do you think I mean, I know they are solidly, but you get what I'm saying. Like, are they going to stick around here, or are we going to see one of these teams start to fade? Yeah, well, I think what's interesting in terms of trajectory is Cincinnati feels like they're sliding back because they start they they got so so high so quick, right? In recent years, you got you know you got to the Super Bowl and you kept getting back to the ACC title game, and you kept you know watching Joe Burrow beat you know Patrick Mahomes, so. I think part of the part of the equation for them too is that they've already paid their quarterback. They've paid Joe Burrow, so the window time is ticking now. 
you know, that once you pay that star quarterback, you're not going to have as much money to spread around to these other guys. So, you know, the fact that they have both Chase and Higgins, Higgins is probably not going to be there if they want to be able to afford anything else next year. So, you know, that receiver room is going to be depleted. That's where I start to think of. I know it's, it, it feels a little bit different just to talk about this year, but that window for Cincinnati feels a bit more urgent. So I feel like every loss, every injury is exponential for a team like that. Pittsburgh might be the worst best team in the league. I, I mean, if you watch them on a weekly basis and then look at their record, and this happened to them a few years ago. Remember when they were like 11-0 and and they were just they never looked good? You're like, how does this team keep winning football games over and over and over again? And then they got knocked out of the first round of the playoffs, which wasn't really surprising, but – Pittsburgh feels like that to me. They, they continue to win in spite of themselves somehow. Um, and, and Sunday's game against Arizona was just a prime example. They lose to, to the team that had the second-worst record in the league at the time, and they do it at home. I, I mean, that, that shows you, I think, to, to speak to your point and to see that they seem to be re, you know, receding a bit, whereas a team like Indianapolis, even a team like Houston, like you mentioned, they feel like they're moving forward. That's kind of what I attribute that to. I feel like we all know the answer is Mike Tomlin and some kind of witchcraft there, but that's 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 all I have yeah, in, maybe, in that maybe, regard man. in terms of in terms of Pittsburgh being able to do that year over year. Jake brought up Cincinnati, and that brings into the conversation Jake Browning. When you look at what he's done in relief of Burrow, obviously he's not Joe Burrow, but there's weapons still there. Zach Taylor's a good coach. They've been able to still work things offensively. Earlier today, Zach Taylor noted that what he was most impressed with with Jake Browning was of his five incompletions, two drops, two tip balls, and one was a throwaway. When you look at that comment and what you've seen out of Browning the last couple of weeks, is that a coach just going to bat for his guy? Or is Browning competent enough to keep the Bengals in the playoff conversation and ultimately maybe squeaking in in that seven spot? No, I think I think what you saw, particularly Monday night, was was a great plan executed by a competent quarterback, and and I think they prepared him and and got him in situations. Honestly, the most confusing things they they did all night was when they stopped letting him throw the ball. Uh, and you know they had you know the terrible interception on a on a wide receiver pass when he was playing extremely efficiently. That was not the time to try to pull those things out, and and I feel like. When, when they did their worst, when they took the ball out of his hands, almost. So, uh, you know, I, I kudos to him for distributing the ball and doing it well. But you, you saw his confidence grow throughout the game. Also, early in the game, he was completing all of his passes, but they were. I think he was like, you know, seven of nine for like thirty-five yards at one point in the first quarter of the first half. And you're like, okay, this is how it's going to be. And then, bang, he gets he gets a one-on-one and he chucks it deep and, and hits you know Jamar Chase on that awesome touchdown deep. That that showed a building of confidence. We're like, Hey, I've, I've found myself a rhythm. I've got a good matchup. I'm going to sling it and start to, you know, and go back and watch his film at Washington. I mean, he, he, he's no slouch. He, he knows what he's doing. I think it just takes a little bit of time to get into that rhythm and be like, no, I can do it at this level. Uh, and once he hit that big shot, I think he, he realized, Hey, we've got something here. And I think that shows, again, it was a great plan during the week. I would imagine that, that tried to, to mold everything to his strengths and not ask too much of him. And then once he got in that rhythm through the first, second quarter, finally found the confidence to start taking those bigger shots. And, and the results speak for themselves. They won that game. He put up big numbers, uh, made some clutch plays when they needed to be made, uh, and made up for those mistakes. When they had a big play or a big mistake, like that interception that set them up deep in their own territory, he always brought them back and, and did enough to win the game. Luke Easterling is our guest from Athlon Sports. Uh, Luke, Shane Steichen, is he in the mix for Coach of the Year? I mean, he's got to be, right? I mean, a first-year guy, 
that comes in. You lose the quarterback that you guys spent all offseason kind of building everything around who is is not Gardner Minshew in terms of skill set, right? You're not talking about, uh, you know, taking out one guy that can do a certain amount of things and then putting in another guy who can do those same things, just maybe not at that level. These guys are very, very different quarterbacks. And to be able to adjust to that on the fly, to deal with the fact that, again, your your star running back is, is you know, dealing with the contract situation and then he's dealing with injuries and you got all these things going on. Um, you know, that the defense has been hit or miss every week, but the fact that he's kept things together through all of that and, and been able to, to put a winning product on the field in his first season as a head coach, I absolutely would put him in that conversation. I'm going to play spoiler here for folks. Okay. You've got out like way in advance. So I'll give you uh, some kudos here on the prep work, a mock draft for the April draft. Obviously a million things can happen, right, Luke? But you've got your first one out. I I think we know for all, right now at least, everybody knows that the top two guys are going to be the two quarterbacks, Caleb Williams out of USC and then obviously May out of North Carolina. You've got Williams going number one to Chicago. Assuming that that is going to be the case, a lot can happen, I realize. But I'm curious your thought on this. Is that because Williams is such a talent that they can't bypass him, or is it because they are indeed ready to turn the page and move on from Justin Fields? I think, honestly, what that'll come down to is, is what they do with the coaching staff in the offseason. Uh, I think if they, if they bring in a new coaching staff, I mean, history tells us that more often than not, the, the new coaching staff is going to want to handpick their own franchise quarterback, right? That's, that's the way it is. And part of that will be financial, too. Because even if you want Justin Fields to be your guy, you're only really a year away from having to pay him $100-plus plus million in an extension. So you've got to think about it from a salary cap perspective as well. And so their, their options are to, you know, sure, if we want to build around Justin Fields, we stay at number one, we take Marvin Harrison Jr. and give him a, a super, another star wide receiver and we continue to build that way. Uh, or we trade down again because both Caleb, and Will, Caleb Williams and Drake May will, will cost more for another team to go up and get than Bryce Young would have last year when they got that big haul from the Panthers to go from, from one to nine for Bryce Young. They'll be able to ask more of that this year. But if none of, none of that matters, if they bring in a new coaching staff who's like, hey, you know, Fields, Fields played well down the stretch, which, again, that'll benefit them if he does that anyway because then they'll trade him and, and get more for him. But a new coaching staff would probably come in. They'd spend all offseason working out both of those quarterbacks, and, and I just can't see a new coaching staff coming in with the opportunity to choose between Williams and May and not wanting to restart that clock on the on the rookie contract and, and start over again with a, a much cheaper uh, number for your starting quarterback and find the guy that best fits whatever that offense is going to be, uh, as opposed to sticking with Fields, which, again, I'd love to see him get an opportunity elsewhere where he'll finally get a chance to develop. I, doesn't, it, doesn't it kind of feel like if, if Chicago moves on from Fields that he has shown – like I, I think he's going to kind of benefit, Luke, from the narrative or the thought – that the Bears might be as guilty as he in terms of it not really taking off and just not getting the stability around him. And he's shown enough flash that, you know, like a Sam Darnold, he's going to get a chance somewhere else to, to, to prove that it may not have been all him. You agree yeah, with that? And I th- I, yeah, I think he should. I, I think it's been nowhere near all on him. And, and again, having I never played the position at that level, but I played it enough to know what happens in the pocket when you can't trust what's happening in front of you and what's happening around you and what's happening in the headset, right? So I feel like I could go on, I could do a whole segment on, on how that franchise has failed his development in terms of team building, in terms of coaching, 
uh, and, and how that impacts a quarterback's play, both in terms of poor mechanics, when you can't trust the offensive line, your mechanics get sloppy, you start dropping your eyes, you can't trust what's happening around you, that makes you play poorly. And so I, I would love to see him get a chance outside of Chicago where he'll have a better supporting cast, fewer expectations because he has, you know, he was a high first-round pick in a, in, a, in a franchise and city that hasn't had a franchise quarterback in a long, long time, you know, I would love to see him get a chance with, with less pressure, with more resources around him, and then people will see that uh, I don't think it was really him at all. NFL writer for Athlon Sports, Luke Easterling, is our guest. Luke, when you look at the NFC, is it a two-horse race between Philadelphia and San Francisco, or should we really be considering the idea that Detroit or Dallas could represent the conference in February? No, I, I definitely think that, that those four teams – Maybe not equal footing, but it's it's a sixty minute league. It's a sixty minute game, and and all all you have to do is is play the right sixty minutes at the right moment. Um, and again, I always bring this back to the Bucks because it's what I'm experiencing down here. But go back and look at their Super Bowl run with Tom Brady. They went in as an eleven and five team on a hot streak and had to go on the road in Washington, had to go on the road in New Orleans against Drew Brees, had to go on the road against Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay before they got to, to Green Bay or before they got to the Super Bowl and, and demolished Kansas City. You just play right at the right time and any of those teams have the talent, have the quality, have the coaching, I feel like, that if, if they get if you get them on the right or wrong day, they'll make you pay for it. I mean go back and look last week. We wouldn't we wouldn't necessarily consider San Francisco to be that much better than Philly, but they did that on the field because they played the better sixty minutes. So I feel like there have been moments in for each of these teams this season where they've looked like the best team in the NFC. And when you can say that, I think you've got to consider the fact that they should all be in that conversation. Luke, other than the mock draft which you just put out, tell me what else you got upcoming here in terms of your NFL coverage at Athlonsports.com. Yeah, I mean, we've got, obviously, it's a draft season for most of the league. If you look ahead, uh, we've, we've already uh, we've got a ton of scouting reports on Athlon Sports. We've got over 100 already on some of the top prospects. Uh, so we're already uh, knee-to-waist-deep in, in getting you uh, acquainted with some of the top prospects in the uh, draft class. Obviously, we've got bowl season coming up, so we'll be all over that, both from a college football perspective and then looking ahead. Uh, in terms of scouting those guys for the next level, we'll have everything for the the, you know, the college football playoff as well. Um, so whether you're looking at it from a team perspective, looking at it from a player perspective, uh, you're following your college team and you want to see where those guys are going or you want to see what your team needs in, in the next draft, uh, go to athlonsports.com. And I also run the draft site over at si.com, Sports Illustrated. So if you go to si.com slash NFL slash draft, you can find all my draft stuff there as well. He's a member of the Pro Football Writers Association of America, as well as the football guy over at Athlon Sports, Luke Easterling. Nice enough to take some time with us. Luke, enjoy the final weeks of the regular season, and I hope we're talking to you into January. Hey, absolutely, guys. Enjoy it, and uh, happy holidays to you. You too. Same to you. Um, Interesting stuff there. You know, in talking also about, you know, the NFL is just such a a 12-month calendar, obviously, already looking towards the draft. He mentioned college football in some of the bowl games. Jimmy, we haven't really talked about it in terms of Notre Dame's, because I think you were gone. You were on jury duty, I think, um, when Notre Dame's bowl game maybe was announced. Um, And and I can't even recall which one that they were slotted. But I'm curious from your standpoint, because this is kind of where we're going with college football now. You know, things have changed a lot. And I was talking about how the transfer portal – I don't have a problem with it. I, you know, I'm all for it. I, you know, guys are going to have a chance to make a lot of money, and and that's what it's all about. I get it. I mean, it's it's America, right? But but I do think that some fans eventually are going to get turned off by it, especially you know, 
By which, with, I'm sorry, the expansion or by the bowl season as a whole? The, the Well, the transfer portal affecting the bowl season. Sure. Because the bowl season to me in college football is interesting because it's all relative. It depends on what your expectation of your team was going in, obviously. Like for Notre Dame. So they got – Notre Dame was slotted with which bowl? Going to the Sun Bowl. Okay. So you say that like you're rolling your I eyes. I don't like care. I, like I, I'll watch it, but I don't it, – it, it's a, it's an extra it, game – and you get to raise a trophy, and the players have a fun time because they, well, they get stuff. I'm pretty sure at these events too, right? Oh yeah. Like, so yeah, yeah. So like, it, it's a fun time for them. Happy for them. It, it's irrelevant. It's no mayo bowl. It's no mayo bowl. Don't go over them. Yeah, no, no, let's not. Let's not. I just ate. Okay. <laughs> I mean, let, let, let's be real here. Did okay? you just eat mayonnaise? Is that why? No. What's that? You just eat some mayonnaise. Is that why you you don't want to envision it again, or what? Do do, do I look to you like a guy that? I, I mean, <laughs> do I look like I'm a glutton for punishment? Mayonnaise is the most disgusting. Like, who? What is mayonnaise exactly? What is it? Egg whites whipped up with like olive oil mixed in or something? I think delightful is the word you're looking for, I believe. Horrible. <laughs> like, you can tell the, the, the easiest way to determine whether somebody's either a sociopath yes. or economically struggling is based on the amount of mayonnaise that is reliant for their sandwich, right? <laughs> I mean, let's just be real here. You know what I mean? Are you in a third world country? I don't know. What did they serve for, for lunch? Two pieces of bread and mayonnaise? You're in a third world country. Or Arkansas. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's just how it is, right? Oil, egg yolk, and acid. with either- uh, Okay, yeah, there we go. Sure, <laughs> right? What are we talking about here? And acid such as vinegar or lemon juice. Uh, you needed that last part in there. Just leaving it as an acid. Was I, tough, I had to do that I'll on purpose. I'll tell you this much. The only way you'd get me to eat mayonnaise is if beforehand I eat acid. <laughs> I mean, I can tell you that right now. No question. A little bit on a tenderloin? But, mm-hmm. no. mm-hmm. Delicious. Okay, so back to... Agreed. I mean, cheese it's like I can go for that, right, sure. in, in a bowl game. I wanted the Pop-Tart Bowl, man. The Tostitos? Yeah, the pop- who, who got to the Pop-Tart Bowl? Do we know? I don't. I can look it up real quick. I don't know who's in the Pop-Tart Bowl. I thought it was an actual half-decent matchup, if I recall correctly. Well, I mean, any time that you mix you know, frosting with cherry, I mean, yeah, that's an awesome matchup, NC right? State and Kansas State. Okay. So, like, Kansas State probably is fairly happy going to the Pop-Tart Bowl, right? Yeah. Whereas if you know, Clemson would be disappointed going to the Pop-Tart Bowl. Correct. You know, Clemson's going to the Gator Bowl, and it's like, eh. You know, you're going to go to Jacksonville and go see Clemson play? I asked my buddy Tony, you know, you're going to go to the game? Well, you know, I don't know. The kid's got this going on. Whereas Indiana goes to the Gator Bowl, and it's like, oh, Ooh, my gosh. Sh- it's shut a down Super the state, Bowl. Right? Yeah. Yes. It's all relative. Correct. Where are your expectations but, versus what you're doing on the field right. realistically? But the other hard thing, I think, for a lot of people to adapt to, understandably, is the fact that now with bowl games, you know, the... And I like the Bulls because it just gives you something to watch. You sure. know, there's always something on in the background. It's kind of fun. It yeah, I want to you. clarify that part of it. Yeah, I yeah. love that aspect of it where we can just sit here and talk and then flip on the TV and, hey, oh, by the way, the I don't want to use Duke's Mayo again, but I'm sorry, Jake. Talking. But in terms, yeah, in terms of the fanaticism for it, yeah, I think it's becoming harder for people because now as soon as as soon as the regular season ends, it's not bowl season, it's portal season. Right? Yeah. And so here's my coping mechanism for that. If you're a fan, we're like, to your point, well, so-and-so is not playing this bowl game because they just entered the transfer portal. I don't view it as that much different as a player declaring for the draft. No, I get like, it. That, that's I, how I cope I'm not poo-pooing it. the players for no, it. I know. I'm just saying just, it takes the wind out of the sails of, you know, for example, 
Florida State and Georgia, okay? Here are two teams that had high ex- – a week ago both thought they were going to be playing for a national championship. Now they're playing in a bowl game. I, how many? And, and people are going to judge Florida State based on the result of that game with Georgia. But how many players for Georgia or Florida State are even playing in the game to give you a true barometer? Yeah. Because how many of them are like, I'm just not going to play in it? You know what I mean? It, it's a – this is why – and maybe it's my optimism that gets in the way here, but this is why I can't wait for next year when it expands to 12 because it's a larger sample size of the body of work of the top of the sport. I think it's better in terms of engagement and less players entering the transfer portal or less players, at least at the top of the sport on any given year, not playing in the games because now you still have a shot at a national championship. And on top of that, the biggest worry prior to expansion was during Bama's dynastic run of it's Bama every year and then they also ran right Right. that's it I know Bama's back in it this year but it wasn't a surefire thing NIL and the transfer portal and everything else has leveled out some of that has it made it perfect for smaller schools no but if you're a program with the resources and are a undefeated season type team the expansion field I think overall betters the product because now not only are you giving like free tickets to this thing for these teams that are just there for a second and then they're bounced out, you're giving more teams an opportunity for a bite at the apple and to raise a national championship because of college athletics becoming a more level playing field than just one dominant top dog. I did see, by the way, that uh, apparently in Florida, the Florida State Legislature is saving a million dollars for a lawsuit against the College Football Committee to get Florida State into the playoffs. Which, isn't this the same group that hates participation trophies? Isn't that like the exact definition of, we're just going to include everybody? I mean, I thought Florida State should have gotten in, but come on. I mean, it is what it is, right? Indiana last night, big win over Michigan. And it happened with a couple of players making key contributions that you might not have thought about going into the game. We'll explain next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love. Hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Indiana last night, three point win in Michigan. I think anytime you win at Michigan, you know, the Wolverines at 4-4, four and four, I don't know that we really know yet. Indiana off to a 2-0 and start in the Big Ten, and you'll obviously take that. I thought it was kind of funny, Jimmy, seeing people kind of nitpick Indiana, and I'm like, like, who did I see? Some national commentator pointed out, like, Indiana can't shoot the ball, and they're not going to be able to win games with that or whatever. And it's like, well, they are 7-1. and one. Now, they've got some big tests coming up. I don't know. Auburn is one that you saw, and you're like, okay, that, that's going to be a big test for them. Well, Auburn's not off to a great start either. No. Um, so I, I think a lot of teams are still feeling themselves out. But for Indiana to go on the road, get a win in the Big Ten, they beat in Maryland also their opening Big Ten win, probably a little down. But it all beats the alternative, and – here they are, 2-0 in the conference, off to a good start. Now you go to some non-Big Ten games. But I think, Jimmy, the thing that was encouraging, if you're an Indiana fan about last night, was the fact that there were players. You know that Khalil Ware 
is going to be a key player for them this year. What you, if you are Indiana, what you're paying attention to is making sure that Khalil Ware is totally dialed in and giving nonstop focus, if you will. And so far, he's done that. And Oregon, Dana Altman basically let Khalil Ware walk because he was unhappy with Khalil Ware's investment. And look, I, I think Dana Altman's a hell of a coach. And, and and by all account, I would trust his judgment in that regard, if you will. So when he comes to Indiana, your your warning that comes with it, your disclaimer that comes with the product is simply the point of, okay, is he going to play hard all the time? So far he has, and he's been a, he's been a great player. And you saw last night, in the last minute of that game, why Indiana, why he was worth the flyer. He's uniquely athletic, is Khalil Ware. He's obviously a, a big player who was able to make a really impressive move to put them in the lead and then seals it by guarding the inbound passer and making an unbelievably not only athletic but space-occupying play in stealing the inbound and sealing the game for Indiana. But, Jimmy, that came after there were other players on the floor that, for example, your group text of buddies were like, hey, I guess we can go ahead and cancel the alert and the search because we now know that this guy's out there on the floor, right? When's CJ Gunn going to hit a jump shot? That, that was that was the joke, right? Because, as you mentioned, he was brought in here like that was what the hope was he would be able to – develop into is a nice shooter among other things for Indiana and he hits two of them last night he has a season high might have even been a career high for him in eight points and he was great in spots Gabe Cups defensively was phenomenal all night long getting the start and replacing Xavier Johnson who's still out with an injury and when you look at IU from where do they go from here and let's stick with Cloware for just a second He's passing every test that's asked of him, whether it's offensively or defensively, to this point. Don't want to overlook Auburn, but the two dates that I have circled, three dates really, is IU-Kansas on the 15th, and then the two matchups against Purdue. Hunter Dickinson and Zach Eady are two of the best big men in college basketball. And if you're going to look at a player, and I feel like kind of backhandedly and wrongly, even though I have great enjoyment and and like Dane Altman, I think he's a heck of a coach. If you're going to say, oh, it's a work ethic thing or, oh, he's not totally locked in, well, that's two matchups where if you're not locked in, Indiana's not winning those ballgames. Like, they yeah. need Khalil Ware to be just as good, in fact, better than he was, and he was great last night when they played Kansas and the matchups against Purdue. But to this point, it, it, it's flying colors, and I really enjoy what I'm seeing. I think that sometimes it is as simple as a change of scenery, a change of system, a change of fit. That is the good aspects of the transfer portal where it should lead to positive outcomes in theory for the player as long as they're willing to work and where has been willing to do that. I think if you were going to do a change of scenery, where would you go? Miami. Okay. You got the, the jack for it? You got a Lambo? <laughs> Miami would no, be cool though, right? Yeah. No, no, what's the what's the noise here? It's the bat phone. No, what what are we doing? That's not my phone, right? It's not, no, it's not your phone. It's no, the, it's this it's phone the over receiver here. in here. For some what, reason, the on? ringer just randomly got turned what, what, on. What are we doing, Eddie? What are we doing over here? <laughs> are they are they telling us to leave? 
Yeah. We're, we're in a new studio, by the way. And What's going on? The, the ringer somehow just randomly turned on, so I'm... Is this place... Do we have a poltergeist in here? Oh, I hope so. They're I would love here. a studio ghost. What, what, what? So, for those that are unfamiliar, by the way, and I only mention it because it's irrelevant to our listening audience, but I guess right there it becomes relevant. Uh, we have moved studios within the same building here on Monument Circle, but we've just moved down on the same floor as our friends at WIBC. And Shout out if we may, by the way, you know what? to everybody you know, involved, I'll because tell you what it is. this has been a very smooth transition across I, yeah, the Yeah, but here's what it is. Yes. I didn't realize this. Okay. We're now on the same floor as our friends at IBC, right? That's correct. I just made a a, a, smarky, a snarky comment against the Florida State Legislature led by Ron DeSantis. They can hear me now, right? Because we're on the same floor as our friends on the fourth floor at IBC, and they're sending over some sort of a warning here of calm it down, right? Keep it cool. It, it, it could be some, some friendly office hijinks, who, who's to say? That's right. Uh, listen, for Indiana, I think, and this is the same point with Purdue okay in today's college basketball world you have the five-star one-and-done players that are basically needing a place to go for a year before they turn their attention to the NBA and you know when they come in that that's exactly what they're looking to do and Kentucky is a prime example of a team that you know John Calipari would load up on the, the you know they have number one recruiting class with you know five five star players and some years they would mesh together and Kentucky was really darn good and other years you know you still you kind of didn't know and they were feeling their way and it wasn't until like February before you really knew who they were yep and the year when John Calipari won in Kentucky yes he had dynamic one and done players Anthony Davis is pretty darn special but he also had four-year seniors that were contributing players that were balancing out that wet-behind-the-ears nature of the roster. And for this Indiana team, the thing that I think where Mike Woodson, maybe not even by design, but rather almost by luck, what is really promising for Indiana, in my opinion, you have two guys in Khalil Ware and Mackenzie Mbako who probably have in Khalil Ware's case, he had to go through a redemption story this year of showing that, in fact, the narrative about him in Oregon was disingenuous. And so far, he's been able to do that. Now, you know, 10 games does not a season make. Mackenzie Ambako is one that his body type, his fluidity, and his shooting stroke alone, based on reputation and narrative, are going to keep him in the conversation of like Jalen hood Shafino getting drafted on potential. Jalen hood Shafino had games, though, Purdue notably, where he absolutely showed that his body size was such that he was going to be a good NBA player and was worth the investment. Uh, Romeo Langford, for example, different story. Langford had no motor at all and was one co- one aspirin from a coma at all times. And that came back to bite him in the NBA. But when you get five-star players like a Malik Renew, and that's where I'm going with this, sometimes you need a little bit of luck. And that little bit of luck for Indiana, odd as it sounds, comes when you get a massive player, and in Purdue's case, Zach Eady. Now, 
Edie obviously didn't come in as a five-star, one-and-done prospect player, but he grew himself into the best player in college basketball, worked himself is a better way of saying it, into, and they schemed him into the best player in college basketball. But he's the best player in college basketball who didn't have a guaranteed NBA future, and so therefore you get him for multiple years. Malik Renew is a guy that came in and there was thought process he was going to be a one-and-done player, but he grew into becoming a really solid player that is not yet NBA ready. And so as a result, Indiana's going to get him for multiple years. And I give him credit for understanding and accepting that role. And he is benefiting now from Khalil Ware there, like he did a year ago with Trace Jackson Davis, admittedly. But he just seems more comfortable in what he's doing, Jimmy. And I think he's a really good player and is a really good player that probably is going to even be back at Indiana next year. Quite frankly, now I could be wrong. He could go to the portal or whatever else. There's a million things, places to go. But they're starting to get signs of contribution from players outside of strictly like the big two. You know, a year ago, Xavier Johnson and Trace Jackson Davis and as well Jalen Hutchfino going into the year were the guys you knew were going to be the guys. And then obviously you get injury that factors into that. But they kind of always felt like they were riding a two-horse race. And, and I think now they're starting to get some complementary contributions that are offsetting those, you know, the, the two big horses. And that makes them more versatile and kind of quietly makes them pretty good. But at 7-1, and one, people just, for whatever reason, they've kind of dropped out of the national narrative. Well, there's two reasons primarily for it. And as long as they get a little bit better in both, it might not matter. When you look into the numbers, and I don't want to get too far into like the analytical weeds, but they are top in almost every national percentile of at the rim field goal percentage to basically lay up or post up actions and then points in the paint, their 94th percentile. When you look at their three-point attempts, their three-point percentage, their corner three-point percentage, they're towards the worst in the country. The one area yeah, they gotta where find shooters. they got to find shooters, but the one area where as long as they get a little bit better, and this is going to change, of course, they played two games in the Big Ten, but if you could simulate what they've done defensively from beyond the arc, and they, if they play it this well and this highly efficient over the course of an entire Big Ten schedule, if they're only shooting 33%, but they're holding opponents under 30, right now it's under 20. That's not sustainable. But if that's your area where your trade-off is we're not going to make a lot of threes, but you're not going to hit a lot of threes against us either, it offsets to a way that can be a type of winning basketball for Indiana. The problem is they need to, as they hit their stride over the next couple of months find more consistency from beyond the arc not a level that's leading the country but a level that is about average jeff rabjohn's going to join us top of the hour when we come back on the other side guys i'm going to put you to the test here don't don't check your phones time magazine has named their person of the year for 2023 oh i know this answer pretty sure i do too how did you know eddie i was listening to the wake-up call this morning oh i thought it just came out no they just announced it like in the last hour oh no were you surprised by it do you agree with it uh, I don't agree with it, no. Jimmy, you surprised by it? Agree with it? Don't really get torn up one way or the other about person of the year, so I, I don't, I don't know. I was unfazed by it. We'll tell you who it is next. So. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com 
and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Oh, and in my defense, Jimmy, you got to defend me here. Literally, the thing I saw that came across my phone said four minutes ago, released from Time Magazine. Apparently, it was four hours ago when this came out, or five hours ago. Yeah. So my apologies that I didn't hear the guys talking about this morning. But Taylor Swift is the Time Magazine Person of the Year. Eddie, tell me why you disagree. Other than going on tour, what has she done? And, and get with Travis Kelsey. Um, I mean, well, you could argue you could, the tour part from an economic standpoint has been great yeah. for... I mean, she's basically revitalized the economy of like 20 different American cities. She's a walking Super Bowl anywhere right? she goes. I, I don't know. I would have to see what all she's done in terms of impact, but it just kind of surprised me. Well, her impact is the fact that, first off, no matter she her influence on, on young people, and in particular young women, I think that she's had a major impact on for a lot of young girls. The, the thing about Taylor Swift, and, and I, I said this before, and I think people thought I was being critical of her. I'm saying it as a compliment. The, the thing about Taylor Swift, she's an attractive woman, don't get me wrong, right? But she's not like... Salma Hayek. Correct. And so... And by her own admission, she, and just kind of in the theme of her songs and whatever else, you know, she has about her an aura of like not worrying about other doubts or having like a personal confidence to carry her through and being vulnerable about her own relationships and things like that. I do think that she has a, I don't know, I don't have daughters, but I know people who do. And I think she's had a major influence and impact for young girls in this country, just in terms of like a belief about themselves. But in addition to that, quite frankly, I think to a great extent, one of her great contributions is that she's like brought families together because you have guys that are going taking their daughters to a concert that that it gives them a reason to like bond with their daughter and have a night out. But she has absolutely um, jump started the economy in a lot of areas. I mean, she did, what, four straight sold-out nights in Dallas? And, like, right now, I mean, when she's – the concert she's announced for Indianapolis, you can't get a hotel room within, like, 20 miles of Indianapolis already for – I don't remember when that show is, but, like, way, way out. And, by the way, a public service announcement. um, The people on your Facebook page, like the friends of your parents that are 70 years old, they're not selling Taylor Swift tickets. They've been hacked. That's not real. (laughs) Don't fall for it. Don't buy it, right? Yes. I'm not a huge – I mean, I don't have anything against her. I I don't know a lot about her. Um, And I think that the Travis Kelsey thing has – put her even introduced her to even a wider audience although I think most people are familiar with her but I also think it pushed her a little bit closer towards that oversaturation fatigue factor and I know that people who are diehard fans of her will throw you down a flight of stairs about how wrong it is for me to say that but I do think that it 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 kind of puts her in a category of the elusive, enigmatic nature about her dissolves a little bit, which makes her a little bit more socially norm, which can lead to a fatigue factor about her. But her impact in the last three months, it's difficult to to go 
in any aspect of the American culture and not hear something about her. Right? Yeah, I don't think that fatigue happens amongst her fans, right, within the no, music industry, sure. but You're in right terms of the that. national conversation, You're yes, right. it's the same effect whenever you see LeBron or Aaron Rodgers or whoever on ESPN for like but nine I, straight hours and you're like, okay, enough, correct. I don't care anymore. I think for a lot of people, though, for a lot of her fans, Jimmy, part of the intrigue about her was this perception that like you didn't see her for a couple of months because she's just working on an album by herself, writing it by herself, and then she comes out and releases it and the top 10 songs of it all go like one through 10 on the chart. And that was really your only exposure to her. And then you find out now, like, wait a minute, she does have like the the good looking boyfriend that plays in the NFL. And in other words, I think for a lot of girls, they saw themselves in her. And the more that she is now in that realm of being in the press box with the star football player, who's a good looking guy, but controversial creates more distance between Got, that is me that I'm seeing on television versus that is something that, again, celebrities are that I won't be. That, that That's the one risk she runs. But nonetheless, uh, person of the year. Jeff Rab, John's next. You- Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You know, by the way, do you know who this woman, Joan Jett, had a relationship with like three years ago? Is this where you tell me it's Mike Tyson and we have the discussion of... You know, Mike Tyson being incarcerated here. We should ask Jeff Rabjohns if he would be surprised you didn't know that, but but we're not going to. But Jeff would side with me on that. Uh, no, I have no idea who. Carmen Electra. Hmm. Joan Jett and Carmen Electra were an item, apparently. Um, Learn something new every day. I know. How about Educate that? Educate and right? entertain. That's what that's what we try to do, um, and in that case, get the mind going. Uh, Jeff Rabjohns joins us now, and I'm sure thrilled to be doing so on that segue uh, from, of course, Peaks.com. And Jeff, we're going to have you on to talk Indiana basketball last night. We've been talking a lot about the win over Michigan, but before we do that, I want to get your thoughts on, because you are all-encompassing when it comes to Indiana athletic knowledge, um, I will absolutely eat crow on this, Jeff Rabjohns. I thought Indiana was going to diddle-dally around and hire a committee and do a search and let every other coach get plucked and then end up with kind of a lackluster hire in their head football search. And I thought they hit a home run. I thought they got a guy that, quite frankly, I'm like, man, I'm surprised nobody else earlier had come in and swept, swooped in and taken Kurt Signetti. Um, and he's not holding, any, holding anything back so far. Your thoughts on the hire? It was a fantastic hire. Um, it, it's arguably... Uh, one of the better hires I use made in its football history when you talk about somebody who has a track record and fits. Uh, it's certainly their best hire in the last three, four, five hiring cycles for them. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, I was told about uh, somewhere around midway through the season, uh, somebody came to me and said, Hey, Rabbi, just so you know, just so you're aware that uh, if this season goes south, uh, the buyout for Tom Allen will not prevent Indiana from making a change if they feel that's the right move. I said, oh, interesting, okay. Because the prevailing wisdom, you know, everybody thought, $20 million, you can't come up with that, blah, blah, blah. 
So I said, okay. So I, uh, I called Matt Weaver, our lead football writer, who is fantastic covering IU football. But he knows so many people around the country covering recruiting. And I said, hey, by the way, this is what I was told. And he said, oh, man, they should go get Kurt Signetti. I was like, who? He said, Kurt Signetti. Like, Matt, who in the hell are you talking about? Who's Kurt Signetti? <laughs> and he's like, oh, the guy from James Madison. I was like, what are you talking about? Go get somebody from James Madison? What? And I was like, okay, explain this to me. And he's like, listen, he goes to Indiana University of Pennsylvania. They're bad. He makes them good. He goes to Elon. They, 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 they'd won, like, I can't remember what it was, but, like, very few games, you know, I think it was something like 12 games in, in, in four years prior to Signetti's arrival. They won 14 in the two he's there. Yeah, he, he leaves and they buy Madison. Twitter. I mean, come on, you know? <laughs> yeah. And he... Then he goes to James Madison, which was a good FCS-level program, but he leads him in the transition to the FBS level and wins more at the FBS level than James Madison had before at the F- FCS level. So we were was like, look, he builds programs. He, he understands what it's like to work without, like, the most resources in, in, in the world. He understands what it's like to build a program. He understands what it's like to get players and have to develop them. He's had multiple quarterbacks win Offensive Player of the Year in his conference. Multiple quarterbacks mean not just different human beings, but different types of quarterbacks. He's had multiple thousand yards receivers as different kind of guys, some long threats, some more slot guys, what have you. He's like, this guy would give Indiana a chance to win, become a regular bowl contender. He knows how to recruit. James Madison actually has a collective, so he understands the NIL space. And he was like, the guy they should go get is Kurt Signetti. And this was somewhere around the middle of the year. So I'm like, okay, all right, you sold me. I am discreetly make a few phone calls and to some agents and folks and just try to find out, like, hey, you know, what do you guys think? If you were Indiana, let me throw an A match in. You give me a ranking, you know, A, B, C, D, F, higher. And I threw it out there, and they were all like, oh, that's an A-plus for Indiana, but I don't know if they can get him. That was the answer that I got. Outside of a couple people who were like, well, if Indiana is willing to pay, maybe. But James Madison ain't broke, and that dude's got a great situation. I said, okay. So, and then, lo and behold, you know, here we are a little bit later, and Indiana has Kurt Signetti as his head football coach. I think they did an absolutely fantastic job. And I think Scott Dolson deserves a ton of credit because he, he put time into studying some things. And, you know, I even wrote about this um, week or so back. You know, he, he took some time studying programs that kind of had to get off the maps, off the map, so to speak, or programs where basketball history dwarfs football history, like a North Carolina, like a Duke, like a Kansas, teams that are winning now in football, but obviously they're more known for their basketball. And Scott Dolson put a ton of time in studying and getting to know people and finding out, okay, what does it take? What are the things that really work? What are important things? So Scott Dolson walked into this situation with a very clear plan. Here's the type of coach we need. We're going to talk to multiple people. And, you know, he's never said out loud, so I don't know if Signetti was number one on the list the whole time. I have my personal suspicions that was the case. I do not know. But it was a really clearly focused search. And, and like you said, you know, Indiana University has got to be one of the leaders in the country at the production and manufacture of BS red tape. 
you know, it's like, all right, what kind of toilet paper should we need? Well, I'll buy. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Let's form a committee. Yeah, I, let's study. Yeah. And let's get to. I'm, I'm like committee, committee, committee. It's like Indiana University. Get rid of some of these daggum committees. And they did this without a committee, you know. And I think Scott Dolson deserves a lot of credit for the fact that this was a very streamlined and very focused process. Where do you think, Jeff, or do we know? Was it rainy day fund money? Was there a specific booster? And I'm not saying that we would know the name, but like, do you think one person stepped up and said, "Here's the buyout money"? Uh, did they take it from it? You know, where did the money come from, or did they have it all along and we just were naive? No, I, I think there are. Um, how can I phrase this? I think there are options. I think there are options because um, there are there are there is some booster money there that could be used if necessary. There's some money as uh, television revenues increased that could be used or even borrowed against. Uh, there's mechanisms that we've seen from you know some SEC schools in the past where a university on paper has loaned its athletic department money and blah, 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 and then the accountants do this and that over the next three, four, five years. So from, from my understanding, um, yeah, I think there are options at this point in time. But um, negotiating the buyout down was always a part of the plan, as it's been explained to me. I do not know that for sure, but that's what I was told. And I was also told that, like, no, this is not going to hurt the varsity club or anybody else or NIL. There are some options here for IU moving forward as far as, you know, paying the the two installments, $7.75 million, uh, to uh, Coach Tom Allen over the next two years. And here's the thing. Not only did Kurt Signetti get his win the press conference, Jeff, as we talked about before we get to basketball, uh, clearly they gave him note cards on what to say when he went out at midcourt at Assembly Hall, right? Yeah, you know, I I thought that was fantastic uh, for a new coach to do. Uh, and, and here's why I think that. And for those um, unfamiliar, yeah. he went out to midcourt, he was introduced, he waved to the crowd, and then by all account, he told Andy and Kevin on the morning show spontaneously, he just said, you know what? And he said the line of, like, Purdue sucks and everybody cheers. And then he goes, and by the way, so do Ohio State and Michigan. I'm paraphrasing, but um, – yeah. and the crowd went bonkers, right? Yeah, yeah. And I thought it was a great move, and here's why. He's not really saying sucks as in, like, an evaluation of their program. He's using the word sucks like I don't like him, you know? And oh, what yeah, was he yeah. doing by, by saying that? He was immediately identifying with IU fans. He's like, oh, you guys, who don't you like? You don't like Purdue? Hey, me neither. Oh, what, what do you guys had to deal with for years in the Big Ten East? They had to deal with Michigan, Ohio State. You sick of that crap? Yeah, me too. So I, I thought it was a great move. He, in about five seconds of speaking, in his very first public appearance outside of a press conference, but his first time talking to a large group of IU fans, I thought he did a phenomenal job of identifying himself with IU fans in, 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 a, in, a, in a way that IU fans cheered and absolutely loved. I mean, Purdue fans spend a fair portion of literally any game they ever play, regardless of Indiana's playing against them or not, with an IU sucks chance. So I feel like all bets are off in terms of that type of back and forth between the, the two programs. It's well established, and I too enjoyed it, Jeff. I have one last question about Signetti. You mentioned he's won everywhere that he's been. Well, what's the again? It's been first year success at times. Like he he. he had eight wins more than the previous head coach at James Madison when they got there. He turned Elon around. They won like four conference games over a four-year span before he got there. What would winning be in his first year at Indiana, assuming it's a jump start out of the gate? What is a realistic bar 
for Kurt Signetti year one at IU? If he gets to a bowl game, it's a home run. If, if you go to a bowl game at Indiana in football, it, it's a good year. I don't care if it's the who gives a crap dot com bowl. You know, it's like if you go to a bowl, that's a good season. And if he gets them to a bowl in year one, that's that's a really good season. I want to shift now towards basketball last night. Look at Michigan as a whole. I'm I'm not one to poo-poo any win in conference, especially in the Big Ten. And I give a lot of credit to Mike Woodson for the fact that they've now beaten Michigan in four straight meetings. But 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 as you look at Michigan and where they're at currently, what is the quality of that win long term? for the 2023-24 Hoosiers? Well, I mean, we'll see. You know, it's just the first two. These are the two December Big Ten games. Right. So exactly what it's going to project to be, you don't know. That's going to depend upon, you know, how Doug McDaniel plays moving forward for Michigan. You know, how do they play? Are they moving forward going to be more like the team that beat St. John's in Madison Square Garden, or are they going to be more like the team that lost at home to Long Beach? Uh, we don't know. Uh, but I think for, for Indiana, the biggest thing is, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's Indiana starting to win games they should win or could win. And we've all seen over the past four or five years or so, you know, Indiana lose games. So you look at and go, shouldn't have lost that one, you know. And so Indiana's sitting there, you know, with only one loss. And, and the one loss is to UConn, a team that's clearly playing like a Final Four contender, if not a title contender. And, um, but they, they're winning the games they're supposed to win. And they're, they're, they're beating Big Ten teams they're supposed to be. Uh, so I think that, that, that's the biggest thing for Indiana, that they're the, you know, they are winning the games that they're supposed to win, or should win, could win, however you want to phrase it. And, you know, they're not stubbing it. They haven't stubbed their toe yet. And, and that's a really good sign. That in itself is actually a sign of progress when you look at some of the times Indiana has stubbed its toe over the past four or five years. Jeff, what's Indiana's Achilles at this point? If – if Mike Woodson is, you know, in the cave, to use that term in Assembly Hall, late at night watching film, he is looking at what as the area, and aside from three-point shooting, I guess, that's going to be the obvious, but um, maybe an area that they have the personnel to do it, but so far just schematically or execution-wise have not done so. What, aside from three-point shooting, jumps out? Uh, just overall guard play. You know, certainly with Xavier Johnson out. Um, you know, their overall guard play. I think it was 22 minutes into the game last night, and I used starting backcourt uh, combined for two points, uh, which puts an enormous burden on your front court. Now, I use front court has been tremendous. You know, Kalel Ware went in the Michigan game averaging almost 18 points per game. That's almost triple the 6.6 he averaged last year. Malik Renault, as Coach Hurley of UConn said, that dude's a killer. And, you know, his ability to – uh, function when you need him. You know, there were a couple times down the stretch, they put him on the block, threw it to him, cleared out. Michigan brought the double team, and he used perfect technique, banged the defender behind him, stepped through the double team, and scored with the game pretty much on the line, or at least the game in the balance. Um, and, and McKenzie and Baco, you know, he's now getting into double figures. He's got a tremendous amount of offensive potential. Uh, got to realize it at some point, but there is skill there. So when your guard play is, is, is suspect or not really producing, it puts a ton of pressure on the front card. Now, Mike Woodson will tell you, and I know he will tell you this because I've asked a couple times, like basically they're going to play to their strengths. If the front court he thinks can dominate in a game, they are going to go to the front court. But at some point in time, obviously guard play has to be a little more productive. 
You know, um, Trey Galloway's, you know, three-point shooting obviously hasn't been where it was last year. Indiana needs him to sort of regain that form. Um, needs to get Xavier Johnson healthy. That, that would certainly help them because Xavier Johnson is the one guard that Indiana has who can really turn the corner and get into the paint on a ball screen. You know, Gabe Cups did a really good job last night in running the offense and not turning it over. He had one turnover in 32 minutes in his first start on the road, and it was a Big Ten road venue. I know Michigan's not great. I get that. We're still talking about a freshman, first road start, one turnover, 32 minutes, um, while also having to guard a guy uh, like Doug McDaniel who went off for sort of 30-some points the, the, the previous game. Uh, but overall, I think, you know, the thing that for Indiana is guard play um, and three-point shooting. And, and there was certainly some encouraging signs last night when you look at what C.J. Gunn did. Um, you know, hitting two threes, uh, getting four steals. You get four steals from a guard or wing off the bench, that is tremendous defensive impact. And you look at some of the advanced analytics as far as overall impact in the game, uh, that counts, you know, scoring, rebounding, passing, uh, plus, minus while you're on the court, all that put together, the player last night's game who had the best analytical impact was C.J. Gunn. So they start getting those kind of performances from C.J. Gunn. That really does help their guard play as well. I mean, if you get last night's C.J. Gunn with any regularity, now you've got a whole nother option coming off the bench um, at, at the guard position, wing position, whatever you want to call C.J. Um, but overall, to answer your question, guard play continuing to step step forward, you know, each week, each month, that would certainly really help Indiana's chances, you know, as you as you look toward March. Jeff when Jeff Rabjohns is our guest, when Xavier Johnson first had the foot injury and came out and he was wearing a boot, uh, I was told at that time they thought, you know, it was possible that it was going to be a four-game injury. Where do things stand? What are you hearing in terms of when he may be back? Uh, to be determined at this point, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where you got to see how it heals. And, you know, we, we've all been around sports long enough to see foot injuries that, like, sometimes it's like, okay, it was a week. Uh, we've also seen some of them where, you know, for whatever reason, you know, it takes a few weeks. So at this point in time, it's kind of to be determined. I know it's a terrible answer here on radio, but that's kind of where it's at. So, you know, it's like – I was told, I, I, you know, I talked to some people and they were like, got to see how he heals, you know, no, no idea. So might be short term, you know, might be, you know, a few weeks, just got to see how it heals. I, right now, I don't think it's going to be like long term. I don't think it's going to last until like January or February or anything. But as far as, you know, exactly when he's going to be back, to be determined. Is McKenzie Mbako the kind of player, Jeff, and, and I assume you probably watched a lot of him before he you know, was wearing an Indiana jersey just in the trail before he got to Indiana. Strikes me as the kind of guy that kind of just needs to be turned loose. In other words, like, he has the athleticism and the basketball instinct, especially from a quick release standpoint, to be able to just kind of go as opposed to get too reeled in. Am I too Freudian in that analysis? No. No, uh, I don't think so at all. Um, I, I think I think there's a strong uh, case to, to be made for that um, because he is about six seven, six eight. Um, he makes threes. Uh, he played a terrific uh, program, uh, Roselle Catholic, out there in New Jersey. Uh, was a McDonald's All American. Um, you know, he, he he was really, really, really productive. 
you know, 19.5, 10.6 rebounds, three assists, a junior, similar numbers as a senior, just really, really, really productive. And uh, those are the kind of guys who you want them to get into a rhythm. You know, they, maybe they start the game one for four. You're like, okay, so what? He may hit five of the next six. And that's another thing that I think as, as, as he gets more comfortable, as maybe Mike Woodson just gets more comfortable utilizing him, uh, running some things for him. You know, I, I think he's a guy who, you know, has the he has the most potential to quote go off in a game uh, of any of the IU players other than Kelly Ware. Um, and Ware has the most potential right now because he can score inside and occasionally can step out and hit a three. But McKinsey and Baca, I mean, we all saw you know the pin downs that Indiana's run for him. You know, he, he's four for four on those shots. You know, so you look at it and go, okay, well. What happens if you run that for him four times a game instead of one? What happens if, you know, you run that and the other team starts jumping it and then you hit him on a back door? And then, you know, I mean, that, that shooting form is just it, – it's, it's, it's textbook. You know, everything's lined up from heels to hips to hands. You know, um, he, he's got a lot of potential. So I think you're right that the more offensive opportunities you get for him, the more opportunity you give him to go out and all of a sudden have a – 18, 20, 22-point game. Jeff Rabjohn, com. Nice enough to take a few minutes with us. Jeff, when you look at IU in totality, 25% from beyond the arc this season, opponents are shooting 32%. Now that's mainly backwatered by some of their early contests and, of course, the loss at UConn. But when you look at a two-game sample size, I get it against two teams that aren't necessarily top of the Big Ten this year but they're 33% from beyond the arc, and they're only allowing teams 18% from that same range. I know that number specifically isn't sustainable defensively, but when you mentioned earlier that Coach Woodson wants them to play to their strengths, which is dominating points in the paint, high action, high percentile when they're right at the rim or right at the cup, if they're able to do that while getting marginally better from beyond the arc and even close to 30% or less from beyond the arc from a defensive rating, is that good enough to get where they want to go this year? Or do they need even further steps forward in both those categories, offensively from beyond the arc and defensively from downtown? That'd get them really close. That'd get them really close. And um, I assume in this equation, we're just going to kind of assume that IU's front court continues to play well. Right. Um, but, yeah, if you make that assumption, you know, uh, Indiana shooting 33%, obviously you want that to be more like 35, 36 if you can. Um, but, you know, if, if, you know, one more three per game in each of the last two games, and the number of the percentages are incredibly different. So it's like, okay, three for nine, not ideal. You double it, six for 18, six for 18 isn't great. But eight for 18 is dang good. You know, so it's like they're really close. And, and again, you know, they didn't have Xavier Johnson. Uh, who's five for ten from three. Not a big sample size, but his percentage is good. You get C.J. Gunn going, get a McKenzie and Baco going a little bit, you know, one more three per game. I mean, four for nine from three sounds and looks mathematically a lot different than, than three for nine. So, you know, you know, you take it and you double it, three for nine, double it, six for 18. Not great, but not terrible. Um, but all of a sudden, if that's you know if those are four for nines and you double that eight for eighteen, that's that's good. I mean, I, I 
you know, they do have chances to improve from three. And the other thing is, uh, and you guys know this from being around the Big Ten a long time, the Big Ten's incredibly well scouted. If opponents don't even think you're going to take threes, they're not even really going to game plan to go out and get you. And as the season moves along, and we saw this under the Archie Miller era, Archie Miller era, Indiana opponents, their defense, it was like maybe a step beyond the arc. Then it was at the arc. Then it was a step inside the arc. And the space for interior players, post players, baseline players, really got so congested that they had problems operating. So one of the things you want to do is at least when opponents scout you, make them believe that you're capable of hitting a three here or there and they need to come out and get you or at least step to the arc, one step past the arc. So I think it would help IU for the, the, the three-point attempts to, you know, nine's not enough moving forward. Now, you don't have to go out there and do like some teams and bomb 25 to 28 a game. But, you know, if you can get that number to even for IU, even if they're not going to take a ton, get it to 15 to 18, you know, that that could help McKenzie and Baco, Kalel Ware and Malik Renault. Just give them a little more space, a little less congestion so they have a chance to operate as well. So I think it's I think it's two things going on at the same time. Jeff, you and I've had Jeff Rabjohns is our guest talking IU basketball here. You and I've had, I don't know, over the years, what would you say, five, ten conversations on the phone that just kind of shoot in the bowl that usually last like forty five minutes, something like that. Maybe like Every oh, six yeah. months or so, yeah. right? So, Great so conversations you, too, right? And so you know that that my brain just works sometimes completely randomly and and like just on a di- like out of left field, right? So I'm going to give you a left field question, okay? All right. I'm curious of this. You've traveled around the Big Ten. You've been in different arenas. You've seen the different fan bases, football, basketball, all of it. Hypothetically speaking, let's say that that. The 247 Sports Network Peaks, they come to you and they go, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a fun little thing where each of you is going to spend a year in the shoes of one of your contemporaries for a different Big Ten program. So we're going to pull one out of a hat and you, Jeff, are going to have to do exactly what you do with Indiana, but for a different Big Ten team for the year. Based on just the fans, the people seem pretty cool it's a cool place to live. The arena's cool. What Big Ten program is the one that if they told you that, you'd go, you know what, that's cool. I can live with that. That'd be cool for a year. Which one are you picking? Oh, man. That's a great question. Um, nobody's ever asked me anything like that before. That's a nice question, Jake. I'm sitting here thinking, we're counting, I would be covering football and basketball. Yep. Let's say primarily hoops. I mean, kind of the, the same. Well, you do both for Indiana, so... Okay, if we're taking both into account. Um, By the way, this is not uh, expansion, so we're not going Oregon, Washington, UCLA, USC. This is Big Ten as it stands right now. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah, what we got right now, yeah. Otherwise, you, know, you pick one of the L.A. schools. Just <laughs> yeah, go to, I'll take UCLA for 100, please, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ravi, we're going we're gonna to pay you, but we're going to let you go live in L.A. for free for a year. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. okay. Um Man, I'm trying to think of where I would actually probably take. You know, part of me would lean Michigan State because of what Izzo does with his basketball teams most years, Uh, as far as their teams that usually grow over the course of the year. 
And not all at the same rate, not all end up at the same destination, but some of those final four teams that he had. You're right. You know, they stubbed, they stubbed their toe in November, even in December. Sometimes even in January, he looked at him and said, ah, he might get to the Sweet 16, they're all right. And then all of a sudden, he really gets it figured out. And I think covering Tom Izzo's basketball team day-to-day would be fascinating. Um, obviously, Michigan State with football, with, you know, they've had off-the-field issues that would be unpleasant. They're I think Michigan State – and look, but. I know that Michigan State Athletics has had its, its you know, its issues. But I'll be honest, Jeff, like I've always gotten the impression that Michigan State, like in the state of Michigan – that just like normal, cool, laid back people are Michigan State fans. Like they just seem like decent dudes. You know what I mean? And and women. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I've always gotten the sense Michigan State seems like its its athletic programs are a little more for the regular folk. Right, right. You know, Michigan's crowd just seems a little more yeah. like high end. Oh, Even like last night, there were there were some you know people who were like I was like. Are you going to the club with Buffy for drinks after? What are we dressed up for? What's going on here? Right. Oh um, yeah. And everybody right has the right to be. You know, if you got millions of dollars, spend it. Have a great time. I'm not. I'm not denigrating anybody. I'm trying to think. Uh, I'm trying to think of. I would probably pick Michigan State. I, I think that's who I would probably pick. Um, you know, Ohio State football is really interesting. Just from the. Ah uh, yeah, but do you really want to be around those nut jobs? Come on, man. Hell no. <laughs> That's all you. You you have at, man. Traffic in Columbus sucks, too. No way. All right, how about this, Jeff? If that's a Big Ten school in a city, and it's like, I think the better Big Ten schools are in in towns. Of course. I I understand they're all cities, but it's more like, you know, East Lansing, to me, more, I would call it more a college town than city. You know, it's like, Columbus is Columbus, even if you took Ohio State and moved it to wherever, Akron, who knows, you know. But I, I like College Town. I think College Towns are fun. So okay. I would probably – I think I'd probably leave Michigan State. Here's my last one for you. I always ask my buddies this, whether they're an IU or a Purdue fan, okay? If you're a fan of Indiana or Purdue, you obviously want to see Indiana or Purdue win the Big Ten. Who do you think is the most innocuous, harmless Big Ten program that if they were to win the Big Ten, the highest percentage of Indiana or Purdue fans would go, yeah, that's cool. I got no problem with them. If we can't win it, that's cool. I'm happy for them. What school is it? Uh, you're you're assuming there's a proportion of either one of those fan bases who is ambivalent toward anything if related ha- to Big Ten basketball. Well, true. But if you had to pick one, like like Indiana fans, I grew up an Indiana fan, right? I didn't like Purdue because I was an Indiana fan. Um but I didn't like Michigan because I couldn't stand Antoine Jobert and Bill Frieder. I didn't like they were, you know, there were there were other programs that there was definitely a Illinois, you know, was a rivalry between Knight and Henson. So, and there were so the one program that that offers the least rivalry nature to it. And we're assuming programs that matter in basketball because I think like if like if Penn State had some miraculous run, I think people would be like. Okay. Yeah, I, they had their run. Okay, that's a they good answer. Cinderella I, year. I would Whatever. say Minnesota. I, I like. Does anybody really hate Minnesota? Go. That Gophers kind of cute. Their colors are like you know what they play in a cool arena. It's like nine hundred degrees below zero, so you feel sorry for people there. Like Minnesota's fine, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think you know Minnesota would be all right. Penn State would be all right because I don't think people would get up in arms like, and I don't think there's anything about either one of those that, that's that's clearly hateable. Right, like, right. Like you said, like right. with, 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 whether you're looking at perspective of Indiana or Purdue, 
there's something they could pick out about, like Michigan we don't like, about Michigan State we don't like, about Ohio State, oh, we don't like them. You know, you know they took that Mata and he took Indiana players, and we don't like them. And there's reasons for either of those fan bases to dislike Wisconsin. You know, people are like, I don't like Bo Ryan. That, you know, you know everybody, you know, the rat-faced guy. And I'm like, well, who really cares what it looks like? I think right. it is Paul. I mean, come on, you know. But, coach. But people didn't like Wisconsin. You know, they didn't – there were there – were, there were reasons, I don't know if they're really reasons, but there were factors that led to the fan bases not liking certain schools. Yeah, I would say Minnesota or Penn State probably, if they wanted, people would shrug their shoulders and go, okay, whatever. Prior to 2023 calendar year, could I have said Northwestern safely? I feel like that's now off the table with yeah. Purdue, but like, couldn't I have probably well, said and that? Purdue, North, and Minnesota's a house of horrors for Purdue as yeah, well. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, you know, Northwestern could play though, right? Yeah. Like all of a sudden now, Northwestern could play. Jeff, we appreciate the time as always, man. We'll continue reading you on peaks.com. Thanks, man. You guys have a great week. Talk all right, to thanks. You. Jeff Rabjohns on the guest line. We're a little over. We'll take a little break. Todd Meyer just walked in, which usually means he's about to scold me for the fact that we're over. So we'll do exactly that. We'll come back and get into what's going to happen over the next couple of days in the NBA and how it affects not only the Pacers, but what you're going to hear on this radio station. That next. Here's a... Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Really interesting, really interesting question from Josh. Uh, Hey, Jake. Has anybody asked or answered the question as to why the big game in Vegas is scheduled for 5 o'clock Eastern? Seems like a huge miss for the NBA. I, that's That actually is a good question. I, I've got know? a couple thoughts here. Okay. I've got three. One, they didn't want something directly. They didn't want two games going up against Thursday Night Football because Thursday Night Football is not on local television outside of the local market of the two teams playing. So if you're you're watching football, you're exclusively on Amazon Prime, and it's not something you can switch back and forth with. So if you're watching football, you're going to be watching football. You can't do a a multi-view or whatever on on, on YouTube TV. So that's one option here. Second option is it gives people time to clear out the arena, time for them to clean it out, get ready for the next game. Uh, the third option is that you have a gap between the games and it allows people like us, pundits, whatever, to be able to consume what they just watched and then be able to talk about it for a little bit before the next game is possible. And they don't, okay, they couldn't do this on a, I mean, obviously they have a full slate of games on a Saturday, so they couldn't do it on a Saturday. Well, the finals on Saturday, the way the schedule Well, I know, but I mean, I'm just saying, like, they couldn't have done like Saturday, Sunday, you know what I mean? I mean, what I'm getting at is if you had to do it like in daytime hours, did it? could they not have done it on a weekend? I think part of it also... I couldn't imagine they would want teams playing back-to-back a semifinal then championship game on Saturday and Sunday, and then most of these teams have a game yeah. scheduled for Monday. Especially since it doesn't count I mean, as an actual regular that's season the hard game. Part it's an added the, game if you the, get to the final. The, the, the only drawback to this in-season tournament, because it's been a huge hit, the only drawback to it would be the fact that, like, for example, the Colts or excuse me, the Pacers Celtics game on Monday, even though it was, you know, we talked about how it was an awesome atmosphere. It was one of the best atmospheres I've been in in a long time. But, and maybe this is a good thing that it was hard for people from like Boston to buy tickets for it, but, you know, you, you basically it came with a week's advance notice. 
I mean, it wasn't like you knew for forever ago when that game was going to be played. Um, so that would be the one drawback for it. But the one thing that I think is kind of fun about it is, and this doesn't help TV numbers, I get it, but there is an element to it, and this is, I'm almost embarrassed to say this because it sounds so absurd, but having two games on in, in December in non-primetime hours kind of feels like the NCAA tournament. It kind of feels like yes, like people take like a vacation at work to be able to watch it or tune in or whatever else, and it makes it a fun and exciting. I, I think it makes it, it – it clearly shows it as separated from the regular season of the NBA, even though it's a regular season game. It's a neutral side event. It does, yeah. That doesn't happen in the NBA, right? Unlike the other sports – well, I guess baseball and the NBA both fit into this, but there are not a ton of neutral site – games played you have all-star weekend and usually about it right everything else is home and home type of games for your schedule breakdown and then once you get to the playoffs i will be interested to see what the environment is like they're playing in t-mobile arena which isn't like a a, a massive venue but it is a, I've, a, I've been a there, very nice way. venue yeah i mean have you it, been there i've been outside it never yeah. inside it's it, cool but i've been outside it. it's a nice venue you're looking at at their Tipping point, about 17,000, 18,000 capacity for basketball or when they've had hockey in there. So that's the home of the Vegas Golden Knights. They have hockey in there all the time. But I wonder how it looks on TV because I, I don't hate the idea of it being a neutral site. But to your point, Jake, with it being such a quick turnaround, how many Pacers fans like... I love the Pacers. I would love an opportunity just to go straight to Vegas as a fan, but how many Pacers fans realistically are going from that Monday night game to, okay, I need to go on kayak right, right now, get some flight. Town and- Seth, I guarantee he's going to be there, right? But, you know, you're right. I mean, will it pop? Is it going to feel like an NCAA yeah. tournament game, or is it going to feel like a playoff game on a neutral site like it did at GameBridge the other night, or is it going to feel... It, you know, you you raise a really Empty interesting gym. point. I what mean, does the court look like? I'm sure that's up on NBA.com. Nobody knows. Well, it's a mystery. They're keeping the it. the interesting point there is the fact that for Pacer fans, you didn't know for certain they were going to be in it until 72 hours advance notice of the game. Right. It's a pretty tough plane ticket to just pop in. You know, to just head out and take right. Like I wouldn't hate this being the semifinal and the final, and and that's the. Let me finish the thought first. The semifinal and the final being more spaced out or further along in the season, I wouldn't hate. And the reason these are all okay things to feel about the in season tournament is it worked. Like regardless of whether or not you think it needs fine tune, which I think it does, the in season tournament worked for the NBA. You look at a lot of different ways they measure ratings. Interest has been up far more than it's been in quite some times for right. random regular season games in November. So that's already a win. The eyeballs are there. We'll see what the numbers do for the semifinal and the final. But if the largest takeaway the NBA has after this thing is done, removing the Pacers from it for a second, because there's local elements to this too. But if the worst thing the NBA has to deal with post in-season tournament inaugural event is here's how we fine tune it. That's a massive win 
for a product that people are like, uh, is this really going to work? Is there going to be interest here? If all it is is, hey, we nailed it, but we need to fine tune it and modify it in a couple different ways, that's a win out of the gate for the NBA. You know, the as we talked about earlier, one of the interesting things about this tournament now is you have, if in fact, and I don't know that it's is applicable because you're not talking about prime time, at least for Thursday numbers anyway in terms of the viewership times, but you have Los Angeles in it, television market number two, but then outside of that, New Orleans television market, I think 50 or 52, Indianapolis television market 25, Milwaukee television market 38. So you've got the smaller market teams, quote unquote, in it. I'll push back on that in this scenario for two reasons, and one definitely carries the cachet where the market doesn't matter. The other one, I don't know. We'll start with the easy answer. Giannis Antetokounmpo is a face of the league, right? And that, that having them there, even though they're a smaller market, True. inherently should draw eyeballs. The other wild card to that, and he's been having a great year to this point, this is a jumping off point potentially the rest of the season in his career for Zion Williamson. Got to stay Pelicans. healthy though. Correct. Because he, he's he been, does. His, his health is such that he's kind of fallen out of the public conscience. Correct. But this is, again, they're going to be the real primetime window. They're going to be at 9 o'clock. Right. There's enough buzz, I feel like, for the stars that are at the table. And Tyrese Halliburton, to a larger extent, as he continues to capture the national audience, building off his first triple-double in the win against Boston on Monday, there's enough cachet from a star power standpoint in the uniqueness of this single elimination event that I don't think it's as much of a death sentence as, say, when we were laughing about the World Series viewership numbers right, right. with the markets well, that were represented. I, I think for a lot of people, Jimmy, the NBA season... It, December, right? Yeah, correct. Christmas. Christmas is opening day you know, for the it, NBA. It's, so I work in racing, okay? Racing is a summer sport. I don't think that anybody who is actively around it would dispute that. Like, it feels like summertime. And when I'm at races in June or July, they are epicentered sport within, you know, I mean, those races are, there's a lot of attention, a lot of fanfare, whatever else. It definitely feels like the sports calendar changes, even though the NFL, every year when the NFL, like training camp, I always say to people, I'm like, just be careful. I know people are excited about training camp, but be careful because it's wonderful out right now and you're getting ice cream at 8.30 at night and you're wearing shorts and a t-shirt and all of a sudden you blink your eyes twice and you're in week 11 and you're scraping your windshield. Because <laughs> as soon as the NFL season starts, the you you do a calendar flip in your head, whether you're doing it on an actual, on your phone or not. The NFL season, as soon as the, the as soon as everybody gets together in Canton and that game takes place and then they cancel it thirty minutes later because the field is coagulating or whatever it was and, and they got the Shrek fella banging on hotel doors. When all that starts happening, people's minds automatically switch to it is fall. The leaves it, actually start falling, believe it or not, when the ball is kicked on opening night correct. of the NFL. That's a lot correct. of people don't know that. That's correct. It's a, it's a real scientific I mean, But that factor. is yeah. how it feels. Yeah. Like, pe- summer is over when the NFL season correct. begins. Correct. And for a lot of people, that so the NFL season then carries through to people and dominates their mindset. 
until and even though there's six weeks of coexistence between the NFL and the NBA, it is not really until like the triple or quadruple header on Christmas Day that people are like, oh, the NBA is yeah. playing. This has changed that. That was their hope. Quite frankly. Right? This has changed that it has. as it's given people reason to talk, which is exactly what we just did. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day gets started right at 3.15. little midweek Premier League action across the pond. We'll take Manchester City to one of the money line over Aston Villa. In that same game, give me Man City star striker Erling Holland as an anytime goal scorer. Back here in the States in the NBA will take the Cleveland Cavaliers on the money line over the Orlando Magic. And in college basketball tonight, a little Big 12 Big East Challenge will scoop eight and a half. Texas is eight and a half point dogs on the road against Marquette. Four and one yesterday. Eddie has informed me he does not have anything today, though I have no doubt that will change tomorrow with so much excitement around the NBA and the in-season tournament. Is it Aston Villa or Ashton Villa? I think it's Ashton Villa. I think I said it wrong. Okay. I'll take the fine. It's on me. Uh, This, by the way, on Twitter X from Nathan. Hey, guys, more than 72 hours notice allows a fan base to make that trip to Vegas. I I get it. Logistically, you're right. Um, What income bracket? Yeah, I think for a lot of people on that short of notice, typically the flights are a little more expensive. And in addition to that, you know, you're talking about at minimum two days off of work which on three days advance notice. And at this stage of the year, like how many days do you have left unless you're a correct. day hoarder? Like how, how many day, personal days off do you have left? Well, I, we should ask off. Mark Dykton. You should ask me. <laughs> or Eddie, yeah. Yeah. I've but, been that camp But you get what too, I'm saying. I think for a, a lot of yeah. people, it's it, that's a tough travel on a three-day And that's notice. not even the gate. Like how much is going to cost to get in there? That's a good question, too. Uh, we should see. Let, let's see, see how much tickets are going for, right? If we go to... Uh, we don't have a, a ticket sponsor, correct? Uh, no. I'm just going to go to one of the major online ticket outlets. How's that? Welcome. Okay. Um, I don't think Bullseye's doing uh, a trip out there. So looking at that... You cannot even get them on my favorite ticket website. Um, so Really? Yeah. I can't believe you would pick that app, Jimmy. I know. So just a, a tick away. Okay, I I'm looking like. right now. Oh, you might be right. So I don't know where you get... Tickets, unless it's Could maybe be sold out. If, if that's if the case, sold that's out. awesome. I'd love that. Yes, because I want I want it to feel like an NCAA. It won't feel this way, but I want it to feel like an NCAA tournament. Okay, I have it right here. Game. I have it right here. All right. Semifinals. Uh, are we going with two tickets or one? Two. Two tickets. Okay, so we're going to go with two tickets. Uh, right now, you can get in the door for $11. Total that? or per person? Per person. Two tickets seated together, eleven bucks. Now, if you want to sit like in, de- let's say decent seats, like not like if you don't, if you want to be in the mid level, if you will. Um, what if I wanted to sit like? Yeah, if you want to sit in the two hundred level, you're looking at two hundred bucks a piece. What if I wanted to sit like say near the uh, home television broadcast team? Um, well, nobody's teams are traveling. I understand. Seven hundred and eighty-eight bucks. All right, so there's your range. But hey, if well, you want to be, in I the, mean, if you want to be an elitist, well, no, no, no. I mean, like, but that your range is eleven dollars to oh, what type range, of Vegas experience you're do right. you want? My, my right? Like, that's, you're right. You're right. Yeah, that's what I, I mean. Realistically, though, if you want to have and if you want to sit like in the mid level and not have the game be a rumor from where you are, 
then yeah, you're looking at probably 150 bucks, 200 bucks ticket. Because like, can, well, you can win that at the blackjack table though. That's well, right. But but that's the other angle, right? With these NFL games, like if you're a team, like everybody knows I'm a Chiefs fan, but the Raiders are always on the schedule. That's a, that's my next destination trip. I want to go to Vegas for a game right. for the NBA. If Vegas is going to be the permanent destination for this thing, if you give fans a little bit more time, that becomes a destination trip all of a sudden that's fair. because you're experiencing Vegas and you're seeing your team I mean, compete for the NBA. That's a good way of saying it for sure, right? Um, and I'm curious how many people that live in Henderson, Nevada, for example, are going to go over there and check it out. You know what I mean? Just as something to do. Um, so we'll see. You'll see what the crowd's going to be. The good news is uh, for John tomorrow, that means that he is going to be off at 4.30 because pregame at 4.30, game will tip at 5 o'clock. Uh, John just hurriedly came in here. Is that- am, I'm in here. Hey, I'll tell you what. If they're going to hijack my time tomorrow, they better play. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> or they're going to get ass ripped. Really? <laughs> on Friday. Yeah, they better play. It's going to be 175 to 173. Oh, that's 90 game. minutes of my time. Right. That's high value right there. Is that coffee you got going on there? It is, yeah. And this Sounds Ron like Colley Royals it. cup right there that they gave me. Well, Shout out to the Ron Colley Royals. There you go. Royal I love them right down right? there. The Royals. Have got a big show lined up, John. Sorry, we got uh, Josh Schertz, the head coach of Indiana State. He's an awesome dude. Did you know that he is a uh, grad of Florida Atlantic? He, like me, is a good friend of Dusty May, and we talked about a world of creating a good team and the transfer portal, utilizing that and making sure you fend off those that try to get your good players sure. from bigger conferences and bigger teams. By the way, for those that don't know, before we transition and mm-hmm. hand off here, John hates sitting in a seat that somebody else has been sitting in, right? Is somebody sitting in this? No, but what do you think about putting on a sweatshirt that somebody just put their ass all over? <laughs> man, it's good. Like, damn it. <laughs> Come on, man. John sits down Ooh, on my look, sweatshirt. Hey, it felt really warm. This thing's going that, right that through that the Lysol hey, spray here. My right cheek was really warm right there. <laughs> I guess you know, it hey, was. Can you tell where my good white... Lord, hey, can man. you tell where my, my, my right ass cheek was right there? <laughs> yeah, I <Go> can. <laughs> actually. Uh, John's up next. We're back at noon tomorrow. See you, everybody. See you,